Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. I almost said hello and welcome to Fire Emblem. <laughs> I was I, I had to think about it. If you can if you could perceive the slight pause before I said into the aether, just know that was me almost saying Fire Emblem. How confident would we have to be to just have a show named Fire Emblem? Like not even like Fire Emblem, let's chat or Fire Emblem. Engage with us. It's just Fire Emblem. <laughs> Today we're recording from a new bunker as we've been on the move hiding from Nintendo cease and desist lawyers who say we're not allowed to have a podcast called Fire Emblem. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Mario. Um, <laughs> so the reason behind your uh, subconscious slip up there is Fire Emblem Engage has come out and we have played it for the past two days yeah it's been two days at the time of this recording it's been two days since it came out i had um like not that much time to play it uh and have somehow very similar to three houses as you and i were saying in our text thread off the show have somehow played way more of it than i thought i had time to play in that very short period of time Um, any game that lets you get a dog give it sunglasses and feed it grapes (laughs) time melts away What'd you name would you name your cartoon dog? Dot Biz. That's an my awesome name, name. My character's name <laughs> I mean I'll, i actually might say this for later because I think we wanted to do reintroductions. <laughs> and I don't want to scare away any potential new listeners with the name of my virtual dog. But uh <laughs> Okay. Oh, I like I like that as a as a setup. Great. Yeah. Well, in that case, yes, a quick reintro. Um we, we were just saying before we started recording, this is our first like big new game release that we're talking about of the year. It's Fire Emblem, which is like doubly big for us for the for longtime listeners you know that um but for new listeners you might not know that we got like completely enveloped uh and and became one with fire emblem three houses when that game came out yeah and on my end i think i think it's easier for me to go over my my shit first because on my end going into that game's release my thought has been and was always every time a new fire emblem game comes out i really want to get into it and i download it and i try and play it and i don't get into it and it's a bummer because uh, everyone I know really likes them. Over time, I felt like I was just getting like battered down by that process over and over and over again until Fire Emblem Three Houses came out. And that one was like the one that clicked. And maybe it was because we were doing the show, but I think it was really just because like they got it right. They they finally nailed what I kind of always hoped that franchise was capable of. It hit a lot of highs. I think it's like maybe one of the best games on the Switch, like top three shit. I, I think it's incredible and have since now gone back and played a lot of the other ones that I was kind of iffy on and have enjoyed them to varying degrees, which I do want to talk about a little bit more, I think, later, actually, while we're talking about Engage. Um, yeah. I have the comparison points between Engage and some of the other ones is where you can kind of get more into the nuances of like the history of the franchise. But for me, it was very easy. It was just like Three Houses was great. And then I went back. Some of the other ones were also great. Awakening. <laughs> perfect video game. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I also think Three Houses came out right at the same time that you were actively trying to get into JRPGs. Because when we started yeah. doing the show, the premise of the show, for those who are like very new listeners, uh, welcome. Hello. Thank you for joining us. We bring to the show games we enjoy. And I think you and I definitely have distinct, We, you know, we have our own unique tastes. Yeah. But I think from the very beginning, we've always wanted to sort of learn what the other enjoys and why. Mm-hmm. So I think... On my end, that involved playing a lot of roguelikes and playing a lot of like just games that I didn't even really think I would like, like Titanfall 2 and just like (laughs) big releases. Because I I think I before doing this show, I sort of like 
I checked out new stuff, but I kind of stuck to what I knew. And the games that I would get were usually RPGs. That's mm-hmm. sort of like my domain. And yeah. since then, we've branched out. So Three Houses, I think, marked a really positive turning point for us where like we were both enjoying the game for the same reasons. And that, mm-hmm. I think, gave you the vocabulary to enjoy other tactics games and RPGs in general. Totally. Yeah. I, so from my end, I got into Fire Emblem via Awakening, which is probably not uncommon. I feel like Awakening and Three Houses and maybe the first Game Boy Advance one were like the three gateways in the West, yeah. at least. Yeah. Awakening, I, I kind of got on a whim and and just fell in love with it. I, I remember that was not too long after I played Mass Effect for the first time. And I weirdly uh, <laughs> made some connections because for those who know in Mass Effect 2, the final mission, you know, every choice you make characters can live or die and it's like one of the most tense moments in a video game yeah in a good way and fire emblem for me was like what if that final level was the whole game but like <laughs> <laughs> like on a slightly lower frequency because the person dying isn't tally zora it's the guy who likes steak you know so it's like i can have a little bit more emotional distance here or the kid of the guy who likes steak yeah or the kid who likes who likes lamb or something you know it's like yeah. what that sucks i like bleeding um <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so Awakening was great, and then uh, then I played Fates, and I liked them for what they were worth. I think uh, what's interesting and what I'm excited to discuss via Engage is it feels like Fire Emblem has this pattern of releasing like the hit and then the weird one right after. Yeah. So it's like Awakening <laughs> comes out and is saves the franchise, breathes new life into the series, mm-hmm. and then Fates comes out and everyone's like, ugh. Like it's kind of fun, I guess. Yeah, like, you know? yeah. And and uh, that's kind of how I feel about Three Houses and Engage right now. But we'll get to that. But I mean, since playing the 3DS ones and then Three Houses, I've gone back and played the Game Boy Advance ones, and also mo- most recently Path of Radiance on the GameCube. So I have a pretty wide appetite for Fire Emblem. I I think Three Houses like you is my favorite but i also have enjoyed the ones that are less interested in character and more interested in tactics i prefer the former but i can meet the game with what it's trying to do mm-hmm. and so with engage when when the sort of trailers were coming out and stuff i honestly was like so put off by the look of it to be completely honest that i didn't think i was gonna get it like i was like maybe this is the one i just don't get you know and uh then the reviews dropped and i felt kind of a slight polite push towards getting it Mm -hmm. and then i realized we have a video game podcast and like it or not we have become a fire emblem show (laughs) uh so i'm like i can't i can't show up here and not have a take even if i hate the thing i think there's two franchises that this is good well actually i would say three one of which you've already mentioned actually four okay there's a lot of franchises that maybe we've hitched our wagon to now that I'm thinking about it. What, what are they? What would you say? I would say uh, Fire, Fire Emblem's one of them. We're always yeah. like, we always say that we're not beholden to new video game releases, but if there's a new game in any of these franchises, we contractually do need to talk about them on the episode that they are released. Fire Emblem is one of them. Pokemon's another one, which you've, you've said the exact same thing. It's like, oh, I saw the trailer. I didn't like it. I was thinking about not getting it. And then here we are. Uh, yes, <laughs> I did say the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, Mass Effect. For different reasons. Mass Effect. When yes. the new Mass Effect comes out, I'm there. It, yeah, if you see that trailer and you're like, ah, I don't think I'm going to get it, I'm going to buy it for you, and then you're going to play it, and then we're going to talk about it. The trailer can the be Udina and a Honda Civic, and the <laughs> game is called Udina's Day Off, and I will get it. <laughs> this one's presented by Exxon. Um, yeah, it's, it's like full of Exxon DLC that just goes straight to... every. All the gamers are ranked by their carbon footprint, and Udina's like, wonderful! And he like winks at you if you're really polluting. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't even remember what the other ones were now. Uh, oh, Persona. Persona's another Persona. One. And I would say like Final Fantasy Dragon Quest as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tra- some- yeah. The next time a Dragon Quest comes out. Although I guess we didn't talk about Dragon Quest Treasures. I have been playing that. I, I haven't brought it to the show yet, but I, I will eventually. It is a spinoff, to be fair. But yeah, I, I think you're right to, to name those. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I actually did stream my time with Engage. I streamed like the first two hours. So that should be on our YouTube. If you want to see me like really enjoy myself and also really have fun heckling, it's a nice mix of the two. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's not a bad representation of like what the game is about and like how it how it plays and and what the experience is going to be like. I do think it gets better as you get further in. Yeah. Especially once you have more to do in the hub worlds. But if you're like on the fence, you can you can watch me and I'll be your Virgil <laughs> into the world. I've seen a engage. lot of people in the Discord refer to that stream saying that watching you warm up to the game also helped them warm up to the game. <laughs> like a lot of people were coming at it with your exact same thought process, which is like, I don't know if this is going to be the one for me. Because I mean, you can't not make the comparison. Like Three Houses at such a high bar for yeah. what this franchise is that like it, Engage just had impossible standards to live up to yes. to be completely honest I, I think there was an actually 0% chance that Engage was going to be as good as Fire Emblem Three Houses yeah. and my my thought process going in was I was always going to check out Engage I actually really like the way it looks this is where you and I differ in, in a pretty major yeah. way I, I think it, specifically the character design is where I have issues I'm like, warming think, up to them I think they look awesome I'm like I, okay. I actually really like how expressive the faces are I find that the, the faces are a lot more expressive than they used to be which I appreciate but anyway Anyway, I think I think going in for me, it, it was just needing to reframe my head where if I went in with high expectations, thinking that this was going to be the follow up to three houses. Yeah, I was going to be disappointed. Whereas if I right. just said, let me look back at the history of the franchise. Oh, they're mostly weird. <laughs> then then I'll probably have a better baseline for enjoying Fire Emblem Engage. And uh, that's gone very well for me. I'll say uh, I, I'm like loving this game um and i think really juxtaposed against a lot of the other fire Emblem games i've tried to play in the past i think fates is a great example and uh and 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 what was um oh echoes echoes is the other one i was thinking of on the 3ds like those two by themselves i think one of the things about the show is like we come here with with games that we like and frequently you know i'll, I'll play a game for a week and then be like cool let me bring it to the show here's what i like about it and then move on to the next one i feel like fates and echoes are, are two entries in the franchise where like i can see what they're going for and i like some things about them but they didn't really grip me and i like didn't really feel compelled to finish either of those games well i mean fates is three games so that was yeah. never gonna happen but yeah. like I just never felt compelled to finish any of them. Engage, I am feeling, is closer to those games in terms of what it's trying to accomplish, but like kind of gets it right. Like it kind of, for me at least, I'm enjoying a lot more of what this game is bringing to the table than some of the other entries I've played. You know, Three Houses is still far and away the best, in my opinion. Awakening is up there as well. And Engage, I'm not going to rank all the Fire Emblem games, but Engage gets closer to the top than the bottom for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, like if I had to compare it to anything, I would compare it to Fates for good and bad reasons. Yeah, (laughs) but I think Fates and Echoes are both games that were very experimental. And even though I think they both suffer from kind of being a little messy and some things being better ideas than an execution, Mm -hmm. both of those games led to like especially those two, like what those two games were trying out led to Three Houses success. Yeah. Because there's a lot of like, you know, the mechanic 
mechanic of that would eventually be divine pulse was an echoes first and the whole idea that like there's this conflict and you can choose which side you're on and see it from their perspective three houses is all about that like in every way possible right <laughs> it's basically like about empathy um <laughs> so i think it's what's cool about the series is that even the ones that haven't worked for me i can recognize the value of their existence in some way mm. the thing about three houses is that now that i've played a lot of firearm games I've, I've played 10 of them to varying degrees but it's a lot i've played <laughs> that should be all of them but somehow it isn't <laughs> um and uh i can say that like okay the, the area in which three houses maybe is not quite on the same level is sort of like the map design and the tactics side of it mm-hmm. not to say that it's bad like if, if you just pick up three houses and you don't have like a, a distinct memory of how the other games feel i don't think you're even going to notice it it's only if you have a very strong attachment to the series i think you can see and and even then i think there's room for improvement in terms of like just communication like the ui and also like when do i upgrade the class and like why and and mm-hmm. how and and all that kind of stuff it's very easy to miss major mechanics in three houses like i have played that game four times and i'm over halfway through a maddening run and it's taken me until maybe this playthrough to fully understand gambits and like why (laughs) i even have them and what they do Mm -hmm. so i guess going to engage not to not to skirt around it i'm also really enjoying this game uh i've played a lot of it in the past two days i'm on chapter 10 uh and i think i have at least seven hours in the game so far which uh means that i'm having fun and it's very hard to put down so interesting i'm at eight hours chapter seven i'm skipping a lot of the scenes which i'll, which I'll get to <laughs> uh uh-huh. but i'll start i'll start with what i really like and and what i think this game is doing really well within the series um i think overall the mechanics are are fantastic and i think if you are a fan of the overall series or even just a fan of tactics games i think you're gonna love this game for what it's doing with its gameplay mm. i think they've done a really good job streamlining a lot of things so like weapons don't break unless they are super specific or like rare weapons which i think is is a pretty cool mechanic they've brought back the weapon triangle which is a older fire emblem mechanic but they've put their own spin on it which i think is kind of microcosmic of what the game's design is overall because in some ways it does sort of feel like a throwback to the design of the game boy advance fire emblem games but with a lot of modern improvements Mm -hmm. so like you have divine pulse which lets you rewind turns from the start and you have like 10 charges of it which kind of feels maybe a little too much but i appreciate it because i'm playing on hard and it's pretty challenging even for someone who has experience with the franchise it's it's giving me an appropriate amount of challenge Mm -hmm. and i I have to rewind a lot even just to kind of like learn some of the new mechanics and see like oh i could have done this would have been a better use of my turn yeah um and allowing the player to sort of learn from their mistakes that was something that you and i both really really appreciated about three houses is like divine pulse it just feels like a mechanic that has to stick around now at this point like it's hard to play the other games without it yeah um totally so the weapon triangle being back uh and for those who don't know what that is basically it's kind of like a rocks paper scissors thing where certain weapons are more powerful against others and the games have had like that's been kind of a concept that is more prevalent in certain games within the series it was kind of dropped completely in three houses which like on one hand i didn't really mind because i've never been like i've never really known where i stand on the weapon triangle but 
in retrospect, it does kind of reduce the validity of certain units because in three houses, eventually, especially on maddening, you learn that like accuracy matters pretty much more than anything else. Yeah. So like, why right. would you ever use an axe when a lance can do the same thing, but like a guaranteed hit? Mm-hmm. And I and, and it's like kind of there. like if you unlock certain skills with weapons, you'll get like abilities that sort of give you like the veneer of the weapon triangle, but it's not inherent to the weapon itself. Playing Path of Radiance, I've actually really enjoyed the weapon triangle there because it just gives like it's not an ultimatum, but it gives you a little bit more info to to help with your decision making in a battle Mm. and in engage. It's almost persona esque where like swords are good against axes. If you attack an axe character with a sword, not only does it do more damage, but it breaks their guard so they can't counterattack, which is like a it becomes a much more central mechanic and i think it does a good job sort of positioning you in a much more strategic mindset right away totally. so i've actually yeah. really enjoyed the focus on that yeah i i think it it has to be noted that also the enemies can do that to you like enemies can break your yes. units as well it's not it's not just a one-way thing which it reminds me so much of like Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre or Triangle Strategy in a way where when you're done with a turn, which way you're facing, you know, you have to like set up your unit facing a specific direction or else, you know, something bad might happen. Like they might get crit if they get attacked from behind. It's a different avenue of accomplishing that same idea for me. At at least that's the way I've been thinking about it in in the process of doing it is like usually when playing a Fire Emblem game, I am thinking about where my units are ending turns, but not to the same degree that I am now knowing who's around, who's capable of hitting them and all also where they stand on the weapon triangle. I think that that adds just like a layer of mechanic depth that kind of was always there in Fire Emblem, but is being brought to the surface much more, Yeah, um, which which adds a lot more, I think, richness to like the turn by turn gameplay of, of combat. I, I think it's fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's, I it's think like, it's great. Bringing back, it's so ironic that three houses didn't really have an emphasis on the weapon triangle. Yeah, right. Especially considering the house leaders are all representative of the weapon triangle. Right. It's so silly. Um, but I'm glad they brought it back. I'm really glad they brought it back. Yeah, I'm glad they brought it back too. Uh, and I didn't expect to feel that way. Which I think to me mm. means that like it's not necessarily the concept, but like how it's utilized within the game. Mm, yeah. And the new the newer mechanic, which is in the title, is the engage mechanic, where as you play the game, the whole quest is to find the 12 rings. It's very simple. And each ring has a Fire Emblem character from the past in it. So it's from what I can tell, it's it's a lot of the lead characters from older games. So right yeah. now I have like four or five and you can give those rings to a character and they will have sort of passive buffs from having that Fire Emblem character with them. Like they mm-hmm. kind of appear almost like a ghostly persona behind them. Um, and then there's the engage mechanic where they fuse uh, and then the character basically has even more bonuses and like special moves. And what's interesting is that every Fire Emblem character kind of has different buffs. So like Marth is the first one you get and Marth essentially is all about like consecutive hits. So like your character will attack over and over again, whereas Sigurd uh, is is a cavalry unit and lets you move much farther across the map. Yeah. So what's really interesting is that like as in, in the main story, there will be characters who are introduced with one of the rings already, but you can also unequip them and give them to whoever. So you and I were talking off the show about like when you get Sigurd, it's the one emblem character that isn't already given to somebody 
So it's the game kind of gently being like, hey, you can actually choose who gets this. Yeah. And at first I chose a character. I chose a Albert, I believe, or Alfred. The, another cavalry in it, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, okay, we'll just double down on the cavalry of it all. But then I was like, I, I had this unit, Louie, who was like just a complete wall. And I'm like, if I can actually give Louie the movement buff, that's going to be much more useful because I can throw him around the map more easily and kind of like guard choke points. Yes. Um, and the map design is awesome. Like every, the thing about Three Houses is that every map is just sort of a big field. Like mm-hmm. there are a few really good ones, but a lot of them are just like, if you're not on a horse, you're fucked. So like, <laughs> you know, I guess Bernadetta and Linhart can hang out in the back and everyone else is flying into action. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> the maps here are really cool creative and the combination of the map design with the amount of units you have and I I mentioned last week about Path of Radiance that I actually do prefer the fire emblems of smaller tighter ensembles Mm -hmm. and I still feel that way but I do think on a mechanical level having a ton of characters to choose from it adds to that decision making process and I think the best thing about this game and the reason it's so hard to put down is the planning phase there is so much to do in terms of like min maxing the characters and the and Mm -hmm. the creativity you have over the them with the emblem I, I i kind of thought the emblem mechanic was silly based on the trailers but honestly i think it's a really creative way to sort of one up what was being done with like pairing up units and awakening and fates yes. and also the gambits and three houses i think it's actually maybe this is you know too soon to say but so far i think it's the most mechanically interesting of those mechanics uh and i'm surprised i'm saying that yeah i that's kind of been my experience with engage on the whole is like everything i went in thinking i was going to dislike i am kind of pleasantly surprised by even even down to like the characterization of alir the lead you know they obviously look ridiculous uh with with the red and blue hair but great lead i think actually weirdly enough like of of the characters in this game the the protagonist is one of the more interesting ones over time and i feel similarly with the engage mechanic with the rings i really thought that was i mean when they first announced this game they didn't say really anything about what it was about or what was going to be going on in there all they said was you're going to get these rings and they're going to have the protagonists of old fire emblem games in them and that just seemed to me like oh you want the mobile game crowd to like come over and buy a yeah. game for the nintendo switch was really what it felt like i mean it, it was like it still kind of feels like that but in marketing at least yes i i think i think the like gachapon mechanic of it all ended up being less at the forefront than i was expecting and where that actually comes Same. in which is interesting i don't know if you've you've experienced this or if you've done this yet but um the the bond rings that you can you can create so you have this like ring room where you store all the rings that have all the other fireman characters in them and you can go up to this altar in this room and essentially like throw in a bunch of this currency that you get just through playing the game um i think they're just called bond points or something like that yeah and you can spend those to get what are actual like gachapon poles of other rings which are other characters from that game that they're from um, yeah. which you can then equip on you know other other units that you have that give them like passive uh stat buffs and you know there's like different rarities and stuff and you can merge them it's like all the gachapon shit but you're actually not paying for them with real money which i appreciate yeah um, over, overall all that stuff feel i think this game was built as a celebration of the series and it does feel like that and thankfully there isn't really a dependency to know who the characters are like again 
I've yeah. played 10 of these games and I don't know who half of the characters I have are. <laughs> um, but it also like I, I realized how much of a fan of the series I was where in the opening cutscene you see like Ike and Lucina and all these characters that I love dearly and I'm like, yeah. oh fuck, this rules. I felt um, the same way. I haven't even played that many of these games and I, I was like, oh my fucking God. I can't wait to get Lucina. The ring polish mechanic is absolutely bizarre. Have yeah, you done can you it? explain what that is? Yeah. So uh, in addition to, you know, all this stuff that we've been praising, there's a ring polish mechanic where basically you choose a character to polish one of the rings that like the soul of another Fire Emblem <laughs> character is bound to. And they go like, this ring is kind of dirty. Can you clean it up? And then you do. And they go, thank you for cleaning the ring. And, and that's it. Uh, although there's a clip I saw on Twitter of, of the Dimitri ring. And when you were polishing it, it was as if it was tickling him. So I think <laughs> I think we got the toned down version of it, uh, basically. So, like, it's not quite the same tickle simulator. I'll, I'll report back uh, next time I try and go polish the Dimitri ring. Last time I polished it, it was Claude. Yeah, everyone who, who has... Every and it, what this does is it, it increases the bond between a character. So whoever has God, whoever has the ring with the Fire Emblem character soul in it, also <laughs> can like improve their bond over time, and they can inherit skills from that character. Yeah. So by polishing the ring, it will Im- increase the bond. It is so Sigurd especially goes like, "Thank you for cleaning the." Like, it's so like oblivion. Yeah. Uh, I I am obsessed. The thing um, is that, like, as as silly and and like objectively stupid as it all is, it unlocks this incredible depth in terms of character customization, right? Yeah. Like, as as you were talking about before, equipping Sigurd's ring on Louis makes your you know tank knight super mobile and like probably the best unit in the game. I yeah. did the exact same thing, and he's like Louis's unbelievable. He's fucked up good. Yeah, like the the heavy armor units in Fire Emblem have always felt kind of weak. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in this game, they feel really good. Yeah. Like, it's the just only... like their mobility is super low. And that was that was the trade off. Clearly was like, oh, yeah, we're going to make these knights unstoppable. They can't be broken, but That's they can the barely thing. move. Yeah, they can't. Their guard can't be broken. So the only weakness is magic, which like as long as you mm-hmm. look at the map, if no one's got a hammer or a spell like you're you're set, no, yeah. no one's going to do any damage to you. Right. It really makes me wish to do is in this game because I feel like he would really <laughs> shine. But sadly yeah. not. But that said, you know, even when you have Sigurd equipped onto Louis, eventually you can just inherit all of those skills and then pass Sigurd onto somebody else. And then Louis retains that movement buff and doesn't need a ring. It's uh, honestly very octopath E with in terms yeah. of like mixing and matching classes and also very Final Fantasy V, which I'm going to talk about later today. <laughs> I was actually inspired to play that game finally because of this game. Mm. Anyway, more stuff that I like. I really do love the look and the music of the hub world. It's really gorgeous. Somniel. Uh, it's a floating castle town in the sky. And I appreciate, and I mean this is a compliment, I appreciate how dumb the activities are, like doing push-ups and uh-huh. feeding my dog who I gave sunglasses and slowly but surely buying sunglasses for everyone. Yeah. Because you can customize the like casual fashion of everybody. And I haven't done anything but sunglasses. So <laughs> it, it has that kind of Scarlet Nexus vibe <laughs> for me right now. I was going to say, yeah, it's very Scarlet Nexus. And uh, there's also fishing, which they've like completely one upped from three houses. I haven't done any fishing. I just unlocked it recently. It's really fun. Oh, my you God. You can also adopt animals. Uh, I have a beagle and a ram and a bunny so far. This I'm obsessed with. Uh, and there's also there's some kind of multiplayer that I haven't really dipped my foot in yet, but I'm curious what that's all about it's wild so 
at the at the tip of the island, the floating island, is this room that you can go into. It's like this little kind of uh, like I don't know tomb. Uh, and when you go in, you can do a couple things. But the main thing that you can do is you can fight online against other people. There's also like just kind of like challenge battles that you can do, um, which you unlock later in the game. I think you have to be like in chapter 14 or something. Um, but the first thing you can do is you can get into what is literally just like a map maker. Like they just give you a map maker, and you can create. Oh, that's cool. You can create your own maps, upload them to the internet and then have people fight on them and you can set up your team however you want on those maps and then just kind of like idly people will fight against it it feels very 3ds it feels like something that would have been a street pass feature in awakening or something yeah um which i really love i love the idea of bringing that kind of feature back the kind of like you know set something up and idly people will interact with it on the internet is very cool and as such you can also jump into other people's maps at random um and i think you can also do it against friends but yeah there's like a whole multiplayer element that i i don't know when you found it i found it like at chapter like six or something i like suddenly realized that that was <laughs> even that i could even run to that part of the island and was like oh shit there's a whole multiplayer thing here and that's kind of been my my experience with somniel the floating island in general is like i think going into the game when when the first trailer we saw that had somniel in it showed the protagonist kind of running around and interacting with people and things. I was like, oh, okay, so they're trying to do a Garrick Mock thing, but it's clear that that's not going to be the focus as much, right? Because Three Houses, one of the brilliant things about it that you and I love so much, and and you know, one of the reasons that it it ties us to Persona so much as well is this calendar of activities, right? It's like the the calendar format and structure of that game means that you go and do a battle and then in between that battle and the next one you're spending your time wisely deciding who you're going to spend time with what you're going to do what you're going to upgrade etc etc and you have to be really intentional about the things that you're doing in between battles in three houses and and that that like choice and risk reward i think is really compelling and really interesting and and creates that like civilization-esque one more turn one more day thing <laughs> absolutely um, and seeing that they were doing something kind of similar in terms of a hub world that you can run around and engage, I was like, well, without the calendar mechanic, how am I going to feel about that? And the answer is that I think this game is as deep in terms of what they're allowing you to do in Somniel in between battles, but there's so little emphasis on it and they don't even really... I, I don't even think they explain very well that you can do all of this stuff in between battles, but that's the reason that it's been taking me so long to get through this game. Like that's why I'm eight hours in and on chapter seven is because literally in between every battle, I am going to every single place I can in Somniel, picking up every item, interacting with everything, like doing all the training, going to the arena, fighting in the arena three times. Like I'm doing everything I possibly can because I, I don't know, like it feels a little min maxi in a way, but I'm enjoying that process. It does feel as close as I've gotten to that three houses feeling of like battle, then Somniel, then battle, then Somniel, you know, uh, get a meal, sit down, watch all the horrible supports that they put in this game and then uh, jump into another battle. Yeah, the I think the loop is there and and the depth is purely mechanical. Yeah. Um, it's like you just said, I, it's worth stressing how bad the supports are. And I'm, I'm, you know, this is not a show where we dunk on games, but like they feel like Tommy was so level interactions like they are bizarre. This is not a joke. Before we started recording, I told you that I was actually like I was eating breakfast and watching a bunch of supports. I watched five supports in a row. This is not a joke. All of them were about characters drinking tea. Every yes. single one. Yes. Five in a row. 
And everyone's critical hit line is it's tea time, which makes me feel like we're the bad guys. We are a group of elite soldiers drinking tea in the sky and killing everyone we meet. We're the villains in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and and here's the thing. It's like I went into this game also, like even though I, I, I maybe had more of an uphill battle of like embracing it, like I, I also try to judge games by their own intention. Like what is this game trying to do? And I played enough of the Fire Emblem games to know like okay this game is probably based on the reviews i've read it seems like the focus is entirely mechanical Mm -hmm. and the story is sort of an afterthought and the characters are sort of an afterthought and i went in knowing that and and like ready for that yeah and still the story and the supports are so bad that it really does like everything we just said i love like everything we've been talking about and gushing about is why i'm playing and why i'm enjoying it Mm -hmm. everything else I think is genuinely terrible to the point where like it makes me feel very conflicted on how much I can say like check this game out Mm. and like I love camp I love you know I I think there's a way to do a low stakes simple story well I think there's a way to be like we're not taking this story seriously we're just having fun but it's not fun it's weirdly morose and like melodramatic yeah that's the thing it's it's not it's not a low stakes simple story right? right it's still like world ending you know cackling villains you know giant evil dragon that's gonna light fire to the entire world story Um, every every (laughs) scene is characters apologizing to each other and then then the battle begins yeah (laughs) Yeah. and then like a a, you know or then a villain shows up and has the ring yeah. And it's like, again, like, I'm not asking for much here. Like, I, I love the plot of Scarlet Nexus. Like, I'm not hard to please. I I just need something. Because if I'm not get like, because even in Awakening and older Fire Emblem games, usually there's, like, a lead who's given a character. Like, Lucina, I think, is a genuinely great character. Yeah. Love her. One of the best in the series. And everyone else is like, I'm a thief that loves candy. And when I level up, I say sweet. And it's like, cool. I'm never going to really know <laughs> the depths of this character. But at least they have a funny you know gimmick mm-hmm. um and i can write their story in my head and you know this game does let you do that but because all the supports are about tea or just watching each other <laughs> like oh hey where were you oh, i was just watching you oh cool and then and the end scene it, it, it just feels yeah. so bizarre and it's it actually makes me upset <laughs> like i've started just like if if someone apologizes more than three times in a scene i skip it Mm. And like I I've been enjoying the game more just really having the battles and like, okay, I know like what's at stake here and then returning to the hub world and doing all that stuff. Like I I am having a lot of fun. It's Mm. a hard game to put down, but like there had to be a better way to have like anything going on narratively here because it just feels like an accidental parody of what Fire Emblem could Mm. be in a worst case scenario. I know that's harsh, but like I just I really don't like it narratively at all yeah this is this is okay so i'm trying to figure out how to word this uh <laughs> sorry if i put you in a rough position no 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 no. And I, yeah. no i think this is good because you you and i are not directly in opposition here i don't think it's good i want to be right, very right. clear before yeah, i yeah. say anything else i don't think it's good <laughs> but i am definitely much warmer on it than you are like i don't i don't don't feel actively turned away by it for me it's just like a thing where okay if there's a cutscene that's going on for a really long time like maybe i'll play marvel snap for a minute (laughs) um but 
I think I think it's worth going into like where they kind of stumbled here because what they're going for I think is an interesting idea and and you actually we we have a text thread with uh, our friends Alana and Sadie where we just talk about Fire Emblem believe it or not uh, and. You mentioned this game in reference to Dragon Quest VIII, which is like yes. very simple story. A bunch of people just kind of like running around trying to, you know, defeat the big bad. Um, but because those characters are so compelling and because the world is so interesting and because of the like trademark Dragon Quest vibe that exists in all of those games, you can't help but feel endeared to all of it, regardless yeah, of its simplicity. Like that's actually almost part of its charm. Yeah, this game right. does try and do that, to be clear. Like what this game is trying to accomplish is very similar like it is supposed to be a ragtag group of of weirdos and randos getting together and just trying to find all these rings because if they can find the 12 rings before the bad guy can then you win and like that's the story that those are the stakes of the story but it stumbles i think in its execution because the game is so focused on mechanics and so focused on combat it does mean that most of the scenes as you just said are you roll up on a bandit base that you heard about you know off screen uh and then you know alir the protagonist will just be like hmm i think there might be some bandits here and then you fight and then there's a ring there and then you move on to the next one and like that's the story that's how the story progresses there's really not a lot of like actual plot happening um it's just kind of like uh, like a like a world tour Universal experience and every once in a while somebody will be like i'm the leader of this uh kingdom and we're all about this yeah here are my three retainers that right. might die this round right yeah. and they're, yeah they're all gonna join your team and i actually i, I kind of like you I, I do find the amount of units overwhelming already where i'm at um especially because at this point you know i'm starting to do paralogs where i'm unlocking more units and i'm starting to get divine paralogs where you're unlocking even more rings and i'm like i don't know who to equip what to because i haven't really even learned who each of these units are and what they're useful for just yet some of them obviously like like louis as we were just talking about immediately useful like immediately yeah. killer but like the first character you unlock in a paralogue battle is this kid named jean who uh wants to be a medic his dad is like the town is the town doctor and he's like i want to grow up to be just like my dad um and please take me along with you and he shows up at that point you're probably like level seven or eight like your whole team is level seven or eight and he's level one and to me that was immediately ringing like the donald alarm bells from awakening where if, yeah. you, if you haven't played awakening there's a kid that you bring into your party in in awakening named donald who is like literally wearing a pot on on his head he's as, the best. as yeah. his helmet and he's like absolutely fucking terrible he's a horrible yeah. unit when you he's pick a him villager up. he can't even like attack right like, yeah he's terrible and as you level him up and then start to reclass him he becomes the best unit in the game and that that focus that you need to give to Donald throughout the course of that game to get him there is really rewarding and it's it really is. exciting and and actually mechanically endears you to the character which I think is really cool like that is one of those cases where it's like I don't even need dialogue with Donald to prove why he's a good character in this game I think game. Awakening does that a lot like it's like yeah. Donald is the is the loudest example of it but I think like even just the like without saying too much in Awakening the units you're going to be using in the first half of the game there's going to be a shift to like a whole new cast yeah in the latter half and that that is a little story being told without right. without dialogue which i think is brilliant totally and and my experience with jean so far in this game has not been that uh, <laughs> 
like Jean I brought in he's level one I was like oh my god we're doing Donald again and I actually I like Jean as a character I like his introduction I like I like the paralogue battle I like the town that he comes from it's a fun map yeah whenever there's like a village under attack it's always very stressful yeah. totally yeah and 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 I really I like I like him as an addition to the cast and I have now worked my way by like throwing him into the arena over and over again throwing him into the f- fucking front of the line in combat over and over again like he is now at level with everybody else in my party and he is still getting one shot very frequently um and i'm just like i just i need i need a little bit more you know from some of these characters like i okay if i'm not going to get it in combat which is the thing that this game seems to be focused on then i would like to get it in story and i'm not really getting it there either so there are some like for real total clunkers on this cast and there are some people that i'm actually warming up to like one of my favorite moments of your stream which if you haven't watched it dear listener you should go watch it but um the introduction of clan and fram who are (laughs) who are like fan like fans of you the divine yeah. dragon as the protagonist they like create a fan club based they're basically around you. two adoring fans from oblivion yes that, that just love the that their innate ability is if they're close to the protagonist they do better basically yes. which is wild and like really honestly fun mechanically yeah um and 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 a nice a nice mirror of their character in combat but I thought they were like completely ridiculous. And, and, and the, the volume at which you laughed in that stream at the introduction of clan and Fram realizing that their names rhymed was incredible. And I did the exact same thing alone in my house when I, when I played that part, I like, I could not believe that those were their names. And what I found at least at this point is I'm like really warming up to them. Kind of like, I don't know if you, if you have this where it's like, you'll, you have two friends where if they're together, they're just like unbearable, but if they're apart, they're like perfectly great people clan and fram separated from one another i actually really like all a lot of the support scenes and a lot of the like conversations with them i'm like oh i actually really i think that these characters are really interesting it's just so unfortunate that they're like paired together and their names rhyme and yeah. they're so silly yeah i i also think they're pretty good units too i yeah. i think i think there's more of a donald situation going on with both of them than mm. with with Jean. Yeah. Um, Because Clan, I think having a mage in general is very useful because, like, that's your only way in uh, with, like, the heavy armor units. Totally. And the healers have some interesting abilities this time with the chain guard ability, which is really helpful. I really love the healer. So the, the healer situation in this game is, first of all, they're, like... They're they're like hand to hand combat. They're monks. Yeah, yeah um, that th- that is their focus, and they can heal obviously if they have a staff. And if they have full health and they're standing next to like in in cardinal directions, one of your other units, you can do this thing. This even just mentioned called chain guard, which essentially means that they will jump in the way of that unit if they're getting attacked and take that damage for them, which just like a very cool mechanic and has saved my ass so, so many times. Yeah, it's a bit of a creative way to interpret what pairing up units did in Awakening, mm-hmm. where that was a sort of similar idea. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, there there are a few characters that like I'm at least, you know, I, I like using them enough in the battle that I'm growing fond of them. Like Louis is just becoming my favorite, just given how good he is. I also even though her design is a bit much i like i forgot her name but the thief who ends up with one of the rings uh like i think six or seven chapters in too yeah she's interesting because the first time the story like kind of like gave me something to think about was like the fact that she you know small spoiler but like she has the ring and usually when there's a character introduced with one of the fire emblem rings they're like a prince or they're like you know some kind of important authority figure and she's just a thief she stole it yeah. But like 
still had this connection to the character. And by extension of that, she's a thief on the battlefield, but also with that emblem equipped, she can heal. So like that's a that's a fun way to have duality to a character in the gameplay and in the narrative. Mm-hmm. And she's someone that also thinks like doesn't belong. And you know, it's not it's it's not like well written, but it's it's at least a character. Like I know who she is and what she's working on. Yeah. And I think having that kind of mirrored in the battlefield and like the other thing about the emblems is everyone has like a big special move. And hers is she depletes her health but heals everyone else yeah and that's like a very selfless act which i think is like cool thematically it's like, okay that's that's interesting yeah um there's another character that i really love mechanically one of the retainers is this girl with this big sword that knocks enemies back oh. so like suddenly not, you have I've not met her yet it, like i think it's not that's a weapon that's like introduced via her character mm-hmm. but weirdly enough there aren't a ton of sword fighters in this game like up until her the only sword fighter is the main character yeah so so like having additional sword fighters is, is very useful. Like usually what I'll do is I'll look at the map and say like what's the most popular enemy here and I'll make my team based on that. But I have really enjoyed like I ha- even though I find the number of characters also overwhelming, I have enjoyed being like okay, who's like my A team? Like who who do I gravitate towards using? Who do I like? Uh and and that's been fun and that has endeared me more to the cast than the writing has because I like I know who my squad is and I know who has sunglasses. So that helps. <laughs> what is your dog's name? Now that we're deep in this. Dot biz and my character's name is Steve T. But I spelt Steve S-T-I-E-V-E to be on brand with the sort of fantasy France. Uh-huh. Um, and I was <laughs> I was trying because usually what I'll do is I'll name a character Steven or whatever the default name is. Yeah. So I did that in three houses. But in this game, I'm like, there's already kind of a weird energy. Like, what do I do to match that? Mm-hmm. So I went with Steve, and then I wanted to do Steve Teeth. To match the the aqua fresh energy going on. Yeah. But it cut me off at T. So the whole chat lit up at the idea of Steve T, the legendary <laughs> dragon. Uh, so that's that's my character. That's who I am. That's so he's my good. favorite character. He's I confused with Marth. And uh, yeah. What I will say about <laughs> the protagonist is there's a moment really early on. The, the moment where my brain went from I, ha- I hate this person to... <laughs> I'm I'm willing to open up my heart to them, uh, which I now have. So I'm glad this moment happened. But right, right at the top of the game, it's actually when you meet Clan and Fram. You're you're hanging out with Vander, who's who's uh like the 34th generation of whatever. He's like looking over you or something. Yeah. Uh, as you're as you've been in in slumber for a thousand years. We didn't even mention this, but the protagonist has amnesia, et cetera, et cetera. It's like so bare bones. Uh, of course. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Vander wakes you up, or sorry, you wake up. Vander's here. Okay, let's go over to the Somnial. Uh, and on your way over, a bunch of just like evil beings kind of erupt from the ground uh, to attack you. They're called the Corrupted. And Vander's like, you, the protagonist, known for your bravery, what do you think we should do? And the protagonist just goes, I think we should run. <laughs> I think we should run away. <laughs> and Vander's like, what? And and the protagonist goes, yeah, we don't know what they are. We don't know what they're capable of. I have been asleep for a thousand years. You brought two kids with us. We shouldn't fight. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Vander and two children. Yeah. yeah. And 
honestly, Steven, I love that moment. That was, I was like, oh my God, that's the smartest thing anyone said in a Fire Emblem game, I think. That was, that's, a, that's the right strategy for like, I'm just thinking back to like Corrin and Robin and like, oh, you're the master tactician. Nobody's ever been like, fucking get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> this is not our fight. I loved that. I loved that moment. And of course you get drawn into battle and you have to fight them anyway. But I, I thought that that was a really great moment. And ever since that moment, I feel like I've slowly been warming up to Alir as a protagonist. I actually, I do like them more than I thought I was going to, um, especially now that I can like have them running around in their training outfit with cool gla- the sunglasses on. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that really, that's really endearing. I think Alir is fine. I, I uh, you know, I, I think in general, usually Fire Emblem protagonists are that kind of character sort of like yeah. the cautious brave hopeful character so like they're they're not really the issue for me I, I think it's just i think it's frustrating because so much of this game is working so well for me yeah and i could see like there's nothing inherent even the things that i dislike on a subjective level there's a way that the story could have been at least fun and that's my mm-hmm. biggest thing is i wish they like if they were going in this direction it could have been campier or like more like i think dragon quest 8 is a fair comparison where it's like that game kind of feels like monty python meets dragon quest in some ways and like i think this game could have benefited from that because it kind of feels like it has sort of the pacing of phantom menace where it's like i'm just in a new place and Mm -hmm. there's a new person around me yeah and that's the story (laughs) and you're just being like inundated with units is the thing yeah I'm trying to think. Um, I just I just brought up a list. There's that one guy, uh, Boucheron. Yeah. Who is like, you know, just kind of like a big axe wielding knight. I know nothing about him at all. I uh, could yeah. not tell that he was sort of the warning for me where yeah. I'm like, at least get, like, again, like Awakening had the guy who no one notices. It's, it's they commit to the bit so hard. Yeah. The thief that loves candy and says sweet when he levels up the punk rock priest that nobody respects. Like, give me that. Boucheron literally goes like, I, I can't believe I leveled up when he levels up. And it's like <laughs> all his supports are like, it's a nice day outside. Thank God it's Tuesday. Like, what? what is your like, what is your adjective? Give me something, Boucheron. Give yeah. me something. Something. He made me crepes and then gave me a secret snack. I'm like, I don't want to eat this because I don't want to know the taste of nothing. Like, get get a personality. I'm not even going to give you sunglasses because I want you to see the sun and find yourself by extension of that light. You know? Yes. Yeah. I he yeah. I I think I think I'm with you that he was kind of the warning for me too. Was like, oh okay, not not all these people are going to be winners. As it turns out, um, if he was designed to be expendable, I wish that was his whole gimmick. Was like, can't wait to die. <laughs> Come on, put me up against a sword fighter. I can't wait to die and praise oblivion. (laughs) All that said, I mean, what I found (laughs) about this game that is uh, kind of in line with a lot of the reviews I read is even characters like that can kind of come to a head and become interesting based on what you're doing with them mechanically. Right. Yes, like like yes. my, my overall investment in John that's happened over the past like four hours that might pay off at some point, you know, I, to be perfectly clear, I sure did buy the DLC because I wanted the, the three houses leads as, as a ring. Um, and I don't they, blame you. their ring rules because it's all three of them in one ring and they're constantly <sighs> bickering with, with each other. That's um, so good. And, oh, and the man. way that that manifests on the battlefield, is anytime it's your turn one of them will take charge in the ring and and like shove the other ones in the back so like there's always only one of the house leads in the front so i have equipped jean with the three house leads which is like absolutely nonsensical and 
that is the only reason he survives now. Like, that's the only reason he's okay on the battlefield is because every once in a while, all three of the house leaders will fuse like Dragon Ball Z characters into one and then fuse into him. And then he gets to use all three of their weapons at once and just like eviscerate a dude. That's uh, so funny. And it's really that that is really exciting to me. And that's the reason why Jean, who is a character that I, I find to be kind of disappointing, is slowly but surely rising up in the ranks as one of my more interesting units. I, I think that that kind of uh, that kind of experience can be copy pasted onto anyone. And that seems to be the case from reading other reviews as well Is like you'll kind of be surprised at who you invest in or what weird decisions you make in terms of who's getting equipped with what ring that will turn them from a character that you don't really care about at all into like somebody that you care about a whole bunch. I think the game in many ways, if Three Houses was all about empathy and sort of like characterization and almost kind of a deconstruction of archetype. This game is all about creativity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the best thing I can say about it is I think it's it's really trusting the player to choose the units you want, customize them in any way possible, whether that's via the inventory or the skills or the actual fashion choices. Yeah. Uh, and also the the ability to give anybody the emblems, I think, mm-hmm. was the was the best choice because that allows so cool. you to choose who the most important units are. And do you I, still have Martha equipped on the protagonist? I do because it just feels it just feels right. You I know? unequipped Marth for literally one battle and then felt so weird and bad about it that I, I put him back. <laughs> they don't really firmly establish the rules of like how present the ghost characters are and it makes me laugh every time because every now and then Emblem Marth will just show up and be like I think we should go to Denny's or like you know just like <laughs> chime in on yeah. what the next thing is and it's so funny and there's also support scenes <laughs> This is actually the most like th- this is one of those things where <laughs> I, I I know we're trying to not be too negative about things because this game is legitimately great. I am really enjoying it, but this is one of those cases where I, I think it would have been better to have just removed these entirely. They have support scenes with the emblem characters and they are literally one sentence. Yeah, they're like, hey, Marth, thanks for helping me out. And he's like, yeah, no problem. I love going out to the battlefield with you. Yeah. End scene. Right. And, and so that was actually less than nothing. Like, if I, if you just gave me the absence of a scene, I could have envisioned a more meaningful connection than what yeah. I was just getting. Right. If it, if it was like, oh, I go into the bond menu and I see that I have leveled up my bond with them and then I get like, I don't know, bond points as a currency reward or something, that would, I think, be a better move than, you know, making me watch this cutscene where somebody says one sentence to somebody else. And then I honestly on. wonder. So, the I don't know I don't have any hard data to back this up but the rumor has always been that this game was in development alongside three houses and that it's been kind of like ready to go for a while mm-hmm. um I do imagine they probably got maybe a bit of a longer development because the production value overall is higher like yeah. the the animation is incredible you know i know it's critical of some of the of the look of the characters but like the way the like super moves play out and even just the battle animations are stunning really yeah. cool um, yeah, have you been spending a lot of time in the arena by any chance no i haven't because if you go into the arena and, and you pick a unit and it, the way it works is you pick a unit and then they just fight another random unit on your team and then they both level up and they both get support um and it literally looks like a fighting game. Like it literally looks That's like, awesome. like a like a Street Fighter or a Tekken yeah. or something. It's remarkable how fluid those animations are. I bring up the the development time because I honestly wonder, given how limited some of the supports are, if those were added after the fact. Like if Three mm-hmm. Houses came out and was this huge hit and there was maybe pressure to be like, hey, maybe throw in some stuff like that. Because yeah. people liked it. And they just like you know threw it in last minute i just i just wonder if that was the thing because like it just feels 
So, like, why is this even in the game? Like, there was more thought for the ring polishing mechanic than these scenes. <laughs> yeah. If, he, if a ring is already, already polished and you continue to polish it, they'll, like, start to dunk on you for continuing to polish it. Like, why are you still here? It's like the end of Ferris Bueller. It's like, why are you still here? All that to say, like, I, I really, truly am really enjoying this game. I think what I keep thinking is, like, I can't wait to play this style of Fire Emblem game with, like, a cast that I feel more attached to or like yeah. a story that I, like like this with three houses would be like unbelievable yeah. but you know I'm, I'm glad they tried something else like I, I think in many ways three houses was also a bit of a departure from the norm I'm, I'm glad that we are getting Fire Emblem games that are uniquely trying new things rather than just rinse wash repeat like I think it's I'm glad that there's a there's room for three houses and engage yeah. My only concern is like I wouldn't want I, I don't really fear this because I think Fire Emblem historically has always experimented as much as it's stuck to the same genre. Right. I don't really think there's ever been a period of time where it's stayed to one. And I think that's partially why the fan base is so divided on like what they want from it because there are so many examples of a good Fire Emblem game. And I do think this is a good Fire Emblem game. I, I think I wouldn't suggest it to be your first if you've never played one because even though it's very streamlined i think it could be overwhelming for how many things there are uh so i would say you know if you're brand new to the series i think three houses is still the place to start yeah if you have a nintendo switch and you're like i want to get into fire emblem three houses is the one yeah but at the same time i do think if you got it it's a, sort of a catch-22 like three houses is the one to start with but if you primarily only played three houses and love three houses i don't know if this is guaranteed to scratch the same itch because if you liked the support stuff and and the focus on character i think you will be disappointed by this and i think because i have both fire emblem fans within me like i like the tactics and i like yeah. the supports i feel kind of torn in two by this game but overall i'm excited to play more of it and i'm gonna play more of it and i think it's definitely one of the better like feeling fire emblem games to play and i think one of the best executions of the tactics side of it. Yeah, the, the weird irony for me is that I, I didn't really like the tactics stuff that much in Three Houses. I was really all about the... the sure the interpersonal connections between characters like that was the focus for me and going back and playing other Fire Emblem games the ones that I have gravitated to most are the ones that have more of a focus on personality um, it's it's why Awakening I think is like one of those kind of like Three Houses best of both world scenarios and it's why yeah. I've been enjoying what I've played of Path of Radiance so far as well because those characters are immediately really compelling um, yeah and I, I have never really been that much of a I'm focused on just the tactic side of Fire Emblem person. But this game is making that work for me, even though that's not the flavor of Fire Emblem that I tend to gravitate towards. It is working really well for me. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I think like if, if you haven't played a Fire Emblem game before and you have a Nintendo Switch, go play Three Houses. And I think because you like that one doesn't preclude you to liking this one. But maybe one day give it a shot. And, and you might end up having more fun than you think. And honestly, like I was saying earlier, like I was alluding to earlier, I do think that this is one that I probably will finish. Like, I, I really Me do too. feel compelled to see this one all the way through, which is more than I can say about a lot of other Fire Emblem games that I've tried. And and that that is the weirdest dichotomy to me. That is the weirdest thing in my head you know talking about being conflicted about this game being like i think the story is actively bad i think there are things that would be better if they were removed from the game and also i can't wait to see this whole thing through is like such a weird thought process to have yeah 
Yeah. I've even been thinking about New Game Plus because I'm like, I want to experiment more with who has these emblems and see what possible combinations there are. Yeah. I'll be honest, Steven. I've gotten to the end of some battles and then just started them over from the beginning to do them a second time a different way just to see how varied it can be. Like throwing different units in, saying like, oh, I think actually if I had put clan in here maybe maybe i could level them up uh and maybe they'd be interesting with this emblem ring and like just doing a battle the second time like i will literally get to the last hit on the the boss of that of that encounter and then reset the whole entire thing it's bizarre i don't know i don't know what's compelling me to do that but like something about this game mechanically and combat wise is just really 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 working for me more so than it ever has i've seen this sentiment online and i really wonder if it's true and i would be happy to see this actually but this you know just looking at the last two Fire Emblem games three houses and engage i do wonder if we're about to see sort of like a persona smt split here where like every other game is focused on one or the other you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah um i don't know if it will be that if if it will be that much of like a uh off and on like George Clooney one for me one for them scenario <laughs> but I do think uh I imagine that this game will sell well and Three Houses is the best selling Fire Emblem game by a pretty good margin yeah I think Awakening sold very well too but Three Houses sold well enough to be kind of alongside some of the first party entries like Luigi's Mansion or Kirby mm-hmm. not quite like Zelda but like definitely like in the pantheon of like you belong here welcome grab yeah. a seat don't yeah. get too close but you can drink here um <laughs> so I'm just I think like you know at a certain point the the financial success matters and I think I I just wonder like the lessons learned from the narrative success and critical success of Three Houses and the mechanical success of this game. I'm very excited to see what comes next. Not to always be thinking about the next thing and not enjoying this game, but I just think there's something brewing here where if if this is like the usual thing where there's a hit, then a weird experiment, and then another hit, like I'm very excited to see the future of this series. Yeah, it, feel, it feels super similar to what's going on with Pokemon right now, right? Like yeah, with, with, yeah. with Legends Arceus and Scarlet and Violet juxtaposed against one another it seems pretty clear that those two things are going to go down separate paths. Like, I don't know, there's been no confirmation of this and this is Nintendo we're talking about. So, you know, honestly jury's out in terms of how accurate these predictions are going to be but the going theory seems to be that legends will continue there will be another legends game and then you will also get more mainline games and slowly but surely they're they're kind of going to differentiate even more and more i i can see that for fire emblem right like the more narrative kind of persona focused three houses seems like the right avenue for the franchise to take especially given its sales success and like for me playing that game and then going back and playing awakening it's very clear to me at least that that was the thing that awakening really got right and i think that's why that game was such a hit you know it it was great mechanically but i i I think the focus on character and narrative was really strong in awakening as well and like okay what are the two things that connect these games oh that's it and engage being so combat focused could mean that there's like a more combat focused Focus Fire Emblem coming down the line and it could be a split like you're saying I am more interested I think as you were just saying in in the merging of those two like I kind of yes. hope it doesn't go that way as much as I want that for Pokemon I don't want that for Fire Emblem I want them to understand 
the takeaways from both of those successes and blend them into the ultimate Fire Emblem. There's game. no reason because they it's not that one has to exist in spite of the other. You know, right. there's no reason why you can't have both. Whereas like with Pokemon, there's two central design ideas kind yes. of in opposition. Right. But here it's like it's it's not like someone's like, okay, the combat's gonna rule, so make the story suck. Like, right. It's like, yeah, no, I don't <laughs> think anyone wants to do that. Like I don't I don't think right. anyone's setting out when they're designing a video game to be like, okay, we're gonna make sure the narrative's like fine. And the combat yeah. can be sick. I, I, yeah, I don't think that's the intention. I think you're right. At the same time, though, I think like, you know, if, if this game, you know, based on the look of it, it's more colorful, it's more cartoony. Like I was expecting the story to be more lighthearted. And I'm also open to that. Like I think that there could be a firearm game that isn't quite as high stakes. Mm. Like that would be interesting to me narratively, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, but, you know, I think uh, as it stands, I think it's a really fun game. Uh, I, I, I imagine I'm going to play way more of it. And uh, I, again, I would recommend it if you are a fan of the series or if you like tactics games that's my that's my take yeah for uh for gamers this one's for, for gamers ga- <laughs> this one's for gamers <laughs> thanks boucheron yeah goodbye boucheron i love standing still so i feel like i'm a single point in time bye-bye bye-bye hello and welcome back to boucheron engage uh, <laughs> what if boucheron is also a ring he's like i'm here but i'm also a ghost <laughs> oh my god that would be incredible oh i want to equip the boucheron ring on boucheron so bad that's so funny <laughs> engage boucheron it's it does sound kind of like a pokemon yeah or if emblem marth was wearing a, a emblem boucheron ring so you had like yeah like like yeah. an inception <laughs> of like an like an onion of of Alier is up against the fell dragon and is like this is bad things look pretty grim and Marth goes I have one last trick up my sleeve <laughs> and puts on a ring hey guys I'm here who else likes reruns <laughs> you ever have right. big ZD cold <laughs> okay let's take another break <laughs> get Boucheron out of our fucking heads oh feel I'm feeling all Boucheroned up. <laughs> Boucher <laughs> off more like who here likes tap water <laughs> all right anyone else like sunshine <laughs> all right all right all right Boucheron gets exactly eight hours of sleep every night taking the yeah taking the <laughs> ring off Boucheron I'll polish you later we're back hello we're back. Uh, Hi. Steven, I, wa- I wanted to very quick. I feel like I haven't talked about mobile games in a while, and I'm always playing games on my cellular telephone. So I want I wanted to talk about three very quickly that I've been enjoying a lot. Yeah, let's talk phones. Let's talk flip phones. Let's talk, let's talk flip phones. I'm loving Snake. Uh, I'm loving yeah. the fact that there's a web browser on here these days. Pretty cool. You can visit any website. And uh, I've been visiting TurboTax the most by Intuit, which is great. Uh, those yeah. are the three games. I love texting with numbers. Yeah. And I had to hit them several times. <laughs> such a good like steve jobs iphone announcement where he's like it's it's a phone it's an ipod and it's a it's a mobile computing device but if it was just like (laughs) it plays snake you can get online and you can do your taxes (laughs) anyway three games i wanted to uh, i'm playing all these on iphone i don't know where they're available but i do know that one of them is not available on android and this is just a thing that i wanted to shout out because you and i had talked about it already uh it's pocket card jockey ride on yes which is the re-release of pocket card jockey yeah, I've reactivated my Apple Arcade subscription for mm. this. Yeah. So Game Freak, if you're listening, this is it. Forget you, Pokemon. You forget Arceus. Forget Scarlet. <laughs> 
pocket card jockey. That's what I want. And yeah. I'm not kidding. Please. Have you played it yet? Have you played the mobile version yet? Oh, I haven't played the mobile. I, I downloaded it, but I haven't played it yet. I, I uh, But I played the 3DS version yeah. that, it's, that it's based on, I imagine. Yes. I have been playing the mobile version a lot. I was on the subway a lot yesterday, which meant that I got a lot of pocket card jockey in, which was really nice. It is so good on mobile. I, th- I think for those of you who yes. don't know, uh, I, I won't I won't say too much about it. We have another episode uh, that is primarily focused on pocket card jockey and I would recommend listening to it. But the premise of the- an upcoming 3DS one, which I imagine will come. It'll up. come up again. The premise of the game is that you are a jockey who is very bad at riding horses. So uh, an angel gives you a blessing which allows you to be as good at riding horses as you are at playing solitaire, which means that you need to play rounds of speed solitaire. And by doing so, uh, the, the faster and better you play solitaire, the faster and better your horses in a race uh which sounds very silly but is absolutely fucking brilliant and is like it's incredible such a such a good loop of a game because it's it's so quick so great for a mobile device specifically i mean like it was awesome on the 3ds it felt designed for a portable console that could fit in your pocket because you could just like flip it open at any moment do a race and then you know get off the subway but now on an iphone which is even more portable even more accessible uh, of a device because it's always in your pocket already just feels like a perfect fit and one of the things i forgot about apple arcade also is that if a thing is available for most games if it's available on iphone that also means it's available on ipad and mac um and this game is also great on mac i've been playing it a little bit on on my computer as well um it's awesome solitaire it's a natural fit yeah solitaire baby it also has a bit of the pokemon dna too because you have like horses and and you're like always sort of like switching out which horse you're using and there's that that whole side of it as well yeah they have different stats and abilities and stuff and as they get older and better or worse uh you can like kind of swap them out and and breed them for new horses and stuff i mean it yeah there's i i wrote about this a little bit on on my site but the the thing that i think is so brilliant about pocket card jockey is at the end of the day it's just like a team at game freak realized that solitaire was already the perfect mobile game and layering any kind of progression onto solitaire just makes it even stickier and i think the the like brain blast of making that horse racing and breeding is like so nonsensical it it is uh like it's like toothpaste and and peanut butter in a way it's like (laughs) what the fuck are you thinking um but it works somehow so that's pocket card jockey right on it's awesome it's so good uh and it's on apple arcade right now um are there any additions to this port like is there anything new in it or is it just like a straight port from the 3ds one it's interesting. So I, I actually I read a lot of interviews with the director of this game, um, who's been pretty actively like talking to a lot of press outlets uh, just about like how this happened, because this is this is a first for Game Freak, at least. Yeah, at least in the States, because Pocket Car Jockey actually did already hit mobile in I think it was 2014 um, and was like a free to play ad ridden microtransaction ridden like nonsensical thing. And it totally flopped, like didn't work at all. And Weirdly enough, some of that stuff does carry over into this version. It's very similar to that Star Trek game that I talked about on Apple Arcade a while back. Oh, yeah. Where it's like this very clearly was designed to be a free to play game, but then they took out all the in-game currency. So you still have like the login bonuses and, you know, the like gotchapon things to get fucking Spock, you know, or whatever. This game kind of has a similar thing where there are like login bonuses and a bunch of in-game currencies and stuff that you unlock. But it it is all, you know, just stuff that you're getting by playing the game. So that that is like this extra like kind of mobile game layer of progression on top of things, which I don't find as compelling. But some of the login bonuses are great items that have helped me win races so that's nice um, oh yeah but for the most part it really just is like 
the game that was on 3DS, but on your phone. Uh, they've made some really, I think, smart changes graphically. So the way the game worked on the 3DS, for example, is on the top screen, you would see the race. You would see the horses running around the track. Um, now on the bottom screen, the touch screen is where you'd play solitaire, which makes the most sense. Uh, but how do you do that when there's only one screen? The answer is that you have solitaire and it's overlaid on top of what is now 3D graphics. So on, on the top screen in the first game, it was just like a 2D track with 2D horses kind of running around. Um, now on the bottom or now what you getting is solitaire layered on top of this like very pretty 3d realization of how the race is going in real time oh cool and it's very cool um i i, I think there's some stuff here and there that's like a little bit too intense like I, I i just think for new players it might be a little bit hard to get over how much there is to parse visually it's like really dense on the screen because all of the mechanics and all of the hud elements that were separated between two screens and were easy to track between two screens on the 3ds now all in one place but but if you've already played the game, you're just going to find yourself right at home again. And I, I think the tutorial is good enough that you'll kind of find your way if you continue to put time into it. Honestly, if you check this game out and you've not played it before and you find it a little bit too intense, I would say just continue to play solitaire and kind of ignore everything else and you will eventually find your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good advice because there, there are some like other mechanics to like influence the race more directly. But yeah, I think that's that's a good advice. Yeah, um, that's Pocket Card Jockey right on. It's it's available on Apple Arcade and is great to other games i want to talk about very quickly one of them is this game uh that's just called a slight chance of saw blades which <laughs> is uh just this really great mobile uh kind of platforming game where you are at least when you start the game you're a chicken in a room uh with the abil the ability to run left and right and jump and double jump and there are a bunch of saw blades coming down from the top of the room and they're just bouncing all over your phone and you just need to jump over them and if you jump over them they disappear and they explode into into gold that you can pick up and use to buy new characters uh so you're not always the chicken but of course as the, the game continues to progress they throw more and more saw blades at you it becomes more of like a bullet hell kind of dodging thing really really great game has like i think it was a three dollar in-app purchase to remove all the ads and stuff uh i really love it i think i think it's great i've been playing it weirdly a lot and the third game i wanted to bring up for you because i think you might find it really interesting um it's called perfect grind and it's Ooh. literally a team that decided what if we made a tony hawk style game like tony hawk one two three four level style game on mobile in landscape or sorry in portrait mode uh that you could play with one hand and that's awesome I think it, it, it has a little bit of a learning curve, but it works a lot better than you would expect. You know, moving around the world is just kind of like dragging your your thumb left or right. If you want to jump, you just kind of flick your, your thumb up and you jump. Grinding when you're in the air is just kind of flicking down onto a rail. And then like when you're going off ramps and stuff you know, flicking in different directions does things like flips and and uh, and grabs and stuff. And when you get through the tutorial, what you find is essentially just like the exact same progression style as Tony Hawk one, two and three, where it's like, you know, you're just given a bunch of challenges and you kind of go around a skate park and try and knock them out. It's awesome. It's really, really well done. Uh, and I, I've been really surprised, I think, I think by great. like how well this works, because it seems like such a difficult task. And and this team managed to nail it for like an indie team uh, to figure out how to make a one handed Tony Hawk game. I think that's really stellar. <laughs> um, so that's called Perfect Grind. I'll definitely check that out. It makes me want to go back to uh, Tony Hawk one, one plus, plus two. two. It's yeah. a great time. Yeah. yeah, it's a bummer. We're never going to get more of that. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess like, you know, it would have been cool to get three and four, but like 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got at least one plus two. Yeah, yeah. That game is awesome. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. And those are all the mobile games I want to talk about. I'm really happy that Pocket Card Jockey got ported because that's, you know, part of our, our 3DS episode is like a, a little bit uh, end is nigh adjacent in terms of like these yeah. are going to be really hard to get in like two months. Uh, and that's an e-store only game. So I'm very happy at least that got backed up elsewhere because um, it's great. And honestly, I also just love like I love Pokemon. Don't get me wrong. We talk yeah. about Pokemon a lot. Probably our most talked about game. But I love what Game Freak does when it's not Pokemon. It's like they let they let it all out. It's great. Yeah. Even if it's not good, it's always great. Yeah, a lot of the interviews with the director of Pocket Card Jockey um, this past week have been about that process at Game Freak and how they go about like deciding what mini projects to work on, um, which is really interesting. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we've heard about Valve internally also, where like sure. if, if somebody comes up with an idea for a game and pitches it to enough people internally at the studio and enough people get excited, about it and they pitch that to their higher ups and then that's kind of like a yes or no you can work on this um and it's usually in between development of other games um and obviously they've been very very busy working on a bunch of stuff pokemon related recently uh so i haven't really had time to make that kind of stuff outside of taking games like pocket card jockey and bringing them to mobile so a lot of the interviewers have asked something to the effect of like do you foresee this happening with anything else are you going to bring anything else to apple arcade and the response has been essentially don't count it out like based on how well this does we might bring more stuff to apple arcade and i wonder if that means like built directly for apple arcade because i i i don't know how well that game towns did that they put out on the switch that was also part of the it's called it's called gear their internal process i I don't know how well that game did i remember it didn't review very well and i imagine wasn't very successful so i wonder if they'd be more open to just making stuff directly for iphone instead and i think apple honestly knowing how much they kind of need more stuff on apple arcade that'd be a really smart move for them to like that would really be a really fun a, pair up yeah, yeah like a like a good pairing with with game freak so yeah, it takes the pressure off a little bit uh game yeah. freak you know and because i think it's like i mean there there are other hits like i i love drill dozer for the game right. boy advance and like that'd be great on mobile i think totally yeah Harm- harmonite also would be great on mobile which is a game that i i didn't love on the 3ds but i think on mobile would be really fun yeah so and i think if they had like an outlet kind of separate from nintendo where they could just experiment that'd be really cool I'll, yeah i'd love to see what what comes from that so. yeah that's seems like yeah. a match made in heaven actually the more we talk about it weirdly enough yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is always like i feel like the the sort of like is this gonna happen will they won't they is like apple and nintendo like overall like i feel like there was yeah. like definitely like sometime in the wii u era it was like is apple gonna swoop in and like and, and buy make nintendo, nintendo yeah. a sega you know but yeah. uh i think i think when super mario run happened and miyamoto showed up like on stage at an apple event was like oh shit this is more real than it's ever been yeah and uh didn't quite happen i don't think it will be as direct as that but yeah i I think game freak and apple is is an interesting pair up yeah totally um yeah i I don't know i'm just i'm so interested in apple arcade because i think it's such a cool service and you and i've talked so much about a lot of the games available on it i mean they they clearly are are green lighting some really special stuff yeah but it's been clear over the past like six to eight months that that has kind of waned a little bit i think like most tech companies Apple seems to be all about like the release of stuff and less the maintaining of stuff. And for things like, you know, hardware releases, 
saying like, here's the new iPhone, very big and splashy announcement you can make. And then similarly for, for Apple TV and services like that, it's very easy to be like, we have this new show. It's by Ryan Johnson. It's starring Natasha Leone, And it's like in the vein of Knives Out. And that's going to be like a big splashy announcement that they're going to have every time they announce a TV show like that. And I think it's harder for them to do that for Apple Arcade and games unless they're doing what they've been doing, which is like weekly releases clearly aren't like hitting the news cycle uh, unless it's something like wild, like Pocket Card Jockey, which like weirdly did become a big story this week. <laughs> yeah. But where they found the most success and even when you and I talk about it is the two times that they did huge amounts of games all dropping on the same yeah, day. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I think it was in 2019 when it like first launched and it was like Grindstone, Sinar, Wild Hearts, Guildlings, like Fantasian. all these Fantasian, yeah. all these incredible games just like like pulled the lever and they all fell out and then like radio silence for weeks yeah. and, and if not years and then there was another time when like a bunch came out and yeah. we covered a lot of them and there was some really exciting stuff in there that was i think the fantasian was the second round i believe but regardless like it's like these two concentrated events what's unfortunate is that i shouldn't say unfortunate but unfortunate for apple arcade is that a lot of the hits go elsewhere so like eventually you can right, play yeah. sinar wild hearts wherever everywhere now yeah elsewhere <laughs> Uh, it's really like Fantasian is like one of the few big ones that's like stuck to Apple Arcade. I'm amazed that game isn't on Switch yet. Yeah, right? I honestly think like, I mean, talk about good mechanics and bad story. <laughs> but still, like I had a lot of fun with that game and I would yeah. love for more people to check it out. Yeah, me too. You know, anything Sakaguchi wants to make, I'm, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, you know, regardless yeah, of what I think. Yeah. He's earned my trust. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Well, that's mobile stuff. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Let's take a thank break. you, phones. Yeah, let's take a break. Thank you, phones. Thank you, Boucheron. Goodbye. Hello, Boucheron. Welcome back. Um, <laughs> I Hello. mentioned last week or two weeks ago. I actually don't even remember when I talked about this, but I, I mentioned recently that uh, I wanted to get back into the Steam Deck a little bit. I hadn't played it in probably like a month or a couple weeks at least. It had just been sitting on my desk kind of. I don't know, staring at me with with maybe malice because I had begging to be polished. Please polish me. I want to feel something. So (laughs) this week I did something that I I haven't done before, uh, kind of inspired by something that you were telling me about your experience with uh, Path of Radiance. I I took the dock and I hooked it up to my TV. Um, Now now that I I have the 8-BitDo Ultimate Controller, which didn't work when it came out with the Steam Deck and now does and is awesome. I plugged that into the back of the dock uh, the, the dongle that it comes with, uh, plug that into the back of the dock, hooked it up to my TV in my living room. And I've been playing stuff on steam deck on my TV in my living room, which has been honestly such a cool experience specifically right? for emulation. That, yes. That's, yes. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of the big thing. Like as much as I'm enjoying a lot of the stuff I'm playing like on steam via steam deck, the ability to have the steam deck plugged into the TV and have it be essentially like a PlayStation or a GameCube, um, and like revisit all these games that I loved or missed, uh, uh, from years back is such a cool thing. Like I, I, I thought it was really fun to be playing like Dragon Quest eight, the PS2 version, you know, in handheld in bed. Like that was very cool by itself. But something about putting it up on the TV and being like, oh, I am just playing the PS2 again is it's really, really magical experience. I think that I absolutely I kind of like I, di- I didn't quite think or know how compelling that was going to be until I started doing it. Like when when the title screen for Dragon Quest eight first showed up, I was like blown the fuck away by it. And yes. one of the things that I found really surprising uh, and I won't I won't get too into, I guess, but it is just like 3DS on the Steam Deck is also really wild. And you and I are playing a lot of stuff for the 3DS at the moment. And like 
why would I be playing stuff on the Steam Deck if I have all of it on the 3DS? It was just more like a how does this work uh, kind of thing for me. But I have found that it's like really great for games like Samus Returns, like the Metroid game, mm. turning that yeah. into what is basically Metroid Dread, you know, like playing that on the TV <laughs> is right. really, really cool. And specifically that game, I think one of the one of the hardest things about it is the control scheme, uh, because that game is very reaction based. It's very much about like running back and forth, you know, through the catacombs as you're usually doing in a Metroid game. But the big the big uh, combat addition to that game is uh, something that then showed up again in Dread, which is like enemies will flash right before they attack you and you can parry them before that happens and then shoot them. Um, and that's very hard to do on the 3DS, at least on the small 3DS that I have. I don't have the XL. Um, so I find that my hands feel really cramped and shitty when I'm playing that game, to be totally honest. Like, I like that game a lot. Yeah. I loved it when it first came out, but I did have a hard time playing it on that 3DS and playing that with just like a regular controller on the TV is amazing. Like that experience yeah. is like honestly a much a much better experience for that game than on the original hardware i wonder if kid icarus would also feel that way based on our conversation last week yeah. as, as i was saying all of that i was just thinking to myself oh i should try kid icarus yeah um yeah but uh just overall i'm really enjoying getting back into the steam deck i don't really have that much else to say about it outside of like the emulation capabilities on this thing are spectacular especially if you have a dock it's very very cool well i think it's really interesting you brought all that up because i think you know we've we've covered a lot of handheld in our time during the show we had you know our season premieres about the ds and then the game or excuse me game boy advance and then the ds and Mm -hmm. now we're doing 3ds so like and even outside of that i think we are interested in handhelds like switch has been a very uh you know we we talk a lot about the switch on this show Mm -hmm. and i think we've often discussed sort of like the intimacy and the different experience playing a game handhelds can be yeah you know on, on one hand you have like this was designed for the ds and like it's going to, you know, like it won't feel the same elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also just have like maybe this wasn't made with handheld in mind, but having it handheld feels really special. Right. At the same time, you know, I think there are other things that benefit from the full TV experience. You know, everything on the PS2 and GameCube specifically is like, well, it's cool to have it handheld. It's it's sort of a version of like, did you see this movie in theaters or on streaming? Mm-hmm. You know, and like what kind of experience was it made in mind with? Right. You know? Yeah. It sounds like a no-brainer, like, dude, the sound system can benefit the experience, but, like, (laughs) it is playing enough games and seeing, like, this was clearly made to be a spectacle on a big screen, and this is clearly made to be, like, an intimate thing you chip away at over time. Yeah. You know, we we talked about Animal Crossing benefiting from being handheld, and Dragon Quest benefiting from, you know, sort of a sit-down, you're in front of the TV spectacle yeah it's weird because uh, you and i or i at least have talked a lot about the switch in terms of my kind of disdain for it as a handheld sometimes like i don't i don't feel (laughs) i don't i don't feel super compelled to bring it with me when i'm traveling or doing anything like that because i i i find it to be much more comfortable if i'm playing it on my couch or in my bed or docked i never want to bring it on the train i never want to bring it you know really with me anywhere but that having been said the steam deck is bizarre because it has all of these like console level games. That's kind of the big thing is like you could take console level games with you uh, on the go. I mean, it's even less portable than than the Switch is. But, you know, the games that they're that they're kind of touting are like Elden Ring and Death Stranding and God of War and games like that, you know, The Witcher and whatever. And I just have a really hard time playing those kinds of games on the Steam Deck as much as I, I think it's cool that you can play through all of Elden Ring. And I've talked to people who've played through all of Elden Ring on the Steam Deck. I have tried doing that and found it to be really difficult. And the most fun I've had with the Steam Deck so far is docking it 
and and uh, experiencing it as if it was just like essentially a PC, which is I know not the primary reason most people are picking them up. Uh, but for people like you and I who didn't have the ability to play games on PC, even just having it as a primarily docked thing is exciting for me and is allowing me to do a lot of things that I didn't even dream of, honestly, before I picked one. Yeah, up. I mean, I, I think that just a testament to how adaptable the Steam Deck totally, is. Like, yeah. you know, we're we're having fun with the handhelds docked. You know, we could attach a monitor and mouse and keyboard to it and like literally have a PC set up. Like it can be all those things. Yes. Yeah, right. Which I think is like partially why I'm so amazed by it, because it's not just a switch. It can be all these other things. It can be an emulator. You know, it, it, it's so versatile in how you could use it. Yeah. The thing about the dock is like it's not it's still not a sure thing the same way the switch dock often is Mm -hmm. like sometimes you know you have to it's sort of game by game but it is also cool too to like i'm about to talk about a game boy advance game a heads up but uh (laughs) it's cool too to like play a game boy advance game on the big screen like it doesn't always look great because like it wasn't meant to be blown up that way but there is kind of a fun novelty to doing that you know for at least a moment you know and like seeing how that feels it reminds me i've often mentioned uh pokemon stadium for the n64 there was this like weird steampunk accessory you would put into the controller and then you would put the game boy game into that right and that's how it would pull your team and and you would you know have your team in the game but you could also just play pokemon red in the n64 on your tv and i did that a lot like i played a lot of pokemon red that way mm. and i loved it yeah, so yeah i think just having the option sometimes is really exciting totally yeah it, it's it's been fun to jump into and out of games and see you know may, maybe this thing designed for a handheld is better on a tv and vice versa yeah on honestly another 3ds game that has been awesome on the tv has been uh pokemon ultra sun oh yeah because that <laughs> that world the alola region is so vibrant and so Stunning. rich yeah yeah and i mean you barely need to interact with the touchscreen at all and it's all you know just kind of like d-pad focused anyway um to to you know go through combat and whatever so just having that region blown up on the big screen is like oh man you could have put this on the switch also and it would be equally stunning yeah you know uh, grievances with that game aside uh it, it is it is a beautiful experience i would love an rcs game in the aloha region oh my. That, that might be the dream yo <laughs> incredible idea right because i think pokemon's talk about like weird experimental game like pokemon sun and moon i think were really trying to break the formula but they broke it in ways that were just breaking it i think and they didn't really have like a proper (laughs) solution whereas i think sword and shield similar idea but i think there was a little bit more going on there that i felt was interesting like the wild area which i think then led to rcs and in some ways scarlet and violet yeah i think i think the big learnings from sun and moon without turning this into a sun and moon segment is just like (laughs) whoops the specificity of the region is really important i think and and creating a really strong sense of place and character for that place is really like a compelling reason to jump into a pokemon game over another pokemon game but the big drawback of sun and moon was because they were so enamored by the region they also were enamored with the narrative and the story that they were trying to tell in that region and that means that you literally have like 45 minutes of cutscenes in that game starting it um it, it takes a long time to really do anything the entire first island is just like really a pacing nightmare i i like that game and that generation i think more than other people do and even still on this playthrough i'm having the hardest time getting through that first island yeah like i said every pokemon game is pokemon like it's gonna hit that note mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. going to be fun for that reason but i think comparing it to like uh x and y you know i think x and y was was a more successful delivery of the experience yeah yeah um, we. anyway huh we yeah. 
Dude, France. I, I forgot to say, Boucheron. there is sort of Boucheron. There is like a very. Uh, I, I've never seen a Fire Emblem game so French before. Mm. Usually, it's sort of like Arthurian or like yeah, kind of rural England or like sort of generic European. Right. Um, but not specifically France. Yeah. And there's a cafe now yeah. that you can go visit and hang out in. There is a part of me that feel like the Sky Island has a Pokemon feel to it. Like it, it mm. does sort of like seem like a, a hub that that the next Pokemon game would maybe aspire <laughs> towards. Yeah. Anyway, secret sun and moon section aside. I'm playing Final Fantasy V. Oh, um, Back on my quest to eventually bring every Final Fantasy game to the show. Uh, this is one that I hadn't really played before. So Final Fantasy V is kind of a weird one. Uh, it didn't come out originally in the U.S. Because famously we got one and then two was four and then three was six. And then seven came out and was seven in both places. And then after seven came out, Square Enix re-released the ones we didn't get on the PlayStation so there was a bundle of uh, four and five, I think. Or no, it was actually, I think it was, yeah, it was four and five. And then there was six and Chrono Trigger. Right, um, yeah. And that Wild. was really cool. But all of those ports are pretty bad, right. honestly. Something about the jump to PlayStation, they all kind of have like pretty rough loading times. And we talked about this a lot on the Chrono Trigger episode. Yeah, because, that, that was a famously bad port. Yeah. And FF5 apparently is kind of similar. Not quite as bad, but like it's not at this point in time, you wouldn't want to play it on the PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. I'm playing it. I'm, I'm playing the Game Boy Advance version on my Steam Deck. And I actually watched a, there's, there's a YouTube video comparing all the different ports because there's the PlayStation port, at least in the US. Yeah. There's the PlayStation port, there's the Game Boy Advance port, there's the mobile port, and then there's the Pixel Remaster port. Yeah. And it seems like if you want to play five, the best two versions are Game Boy Advance or the Pixel Remaster. Mm. Game Boy Advance has the benefit of a retranslated script from the PlayStation 1, so it's closer to the original script uh, and localized better. And also there are there's extra classes and dungeons. So there's more gameplay content in the Game Boy Advance port than in any other version this is the big return of the job system right yes is that this one yeah exactly but the pixel remaster is probably easier to get and uh i would say like that's probably the one to play but i'm enjoying the game boy advance one on the steam deck i did actually have it on the tv at first and i'm like what am i doing i can't blow game boy advance sound (laughs) out of these speakers I have been meaning to pick up one, at least one of the Pixel remasters on the Steam Deck and see how that feels. Um, yeah, yeah. So Final Fantasy V, famously, I, I played a bit. I think I rented the PlayStation port when I was a little kid and didn't really know what it was. I think I was still, con- like, I was probably like 9 or 10. Mm-hmm. And I was probably confused why it didn't look like 7. And I was <laughs> like, ew. And stop playing. But I've I've known of five for a long time because I think we're at a point in time where Final Fantasy V is the godfather to a whole type of RPG. Yeah. Games like Octopath Traveler. Bravely Default. Bravely Default. Yeah. Honestly, Fire Emblem Engage even, which mm-hmm. is kind of why I finally wanted to check out five. Because I'm like, I'm feeling like I have a take here of there's a way to do a story second gameplay first RPG well. Mm. And let me just go to the source. Let me go to the game that like put that thought in everyone's head. Yeah. Because for those who don't really know the the lineage, not to get too into it, but uh, Final Fantasy One is basically like a D and D sim. I've only played the Pixel Remaster version, and I enjoyed it for what it is. But basically, you have a, a party of four, and you choose which class everyone is, and you just go out and you adventure. It's actually very open, which I think is part of the fun, and it honestly works really well on mobile because like you just sort of explore and you grind and you find. Villains 
villages and they talk to the townspeople. They kind of point you in a direction. You go there, you see what's there. Mm. It was very much meant to emulate the D&D experience in a video game. That just unlocked a whole potential future for me that reminds me so much of Breath of the Wild versus the original Legend of Zelda, which a lot of people feel very similarly about. Like the first, yeah. the first Zelda is very like, okay, just poke at the edges and see what you can kind of find. And it's very open in that way. Um, there's obviously a little bit more of a narrative there, but I wonder if there's a future for Final Fantasy where they revisit that first game and try and replicate that idea. Well, it's funny you should say that because I think five is that. Oh. So so basically four, I would say Final Fantasy four is, we've said this many times, but four is the Final Fantasy where I think the series found like, what is a Final Fantasy game? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we here to do? And four was all about the narrative. Like there were, there were classes and there was, you know, the turn-based combat and all that, but that game's primary interest was telling a story light years beyond storytelling of, of the time. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that game's narrative is still pretty shocking and heavy to this day yeah, uh, and remains one of my favorite Final Fantasies. And then six similar deals, six was this like kind of magnum opus of the series as it was. And then seven comes out. And then I think after seven, the series has sort of gravitated towards being like cinematic and story driven, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then we sort of get offshoots of gameplay focused ones. I think like 12 kind of feels like a branch there. Mm. And, and we've often discussed sort of like, you know, the various paths of Final Fantasy. There's sort of the seven remake path. There's the Final Fantasy 14 Ivalice path. There's Kingdom Hearts somewhere. You know, there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> but Final Fantasy V has a very interesting opening. So the opening of Final Fantasy V is you get kind of like a bird's eye view of what's happening in the world, sort of like quick vignettes of like a princess talking to her father who's like going off on this dragon to save something you see like a pirate ship you see another scene of something happening and then it cuts to a guy named Bartz who's just like riding his chocobo and just like vibing he has like no connection to anything very much like a cut to Luke after the opening of Star Wars kind of thing. And basically the game begins, Bartz is on his Chocobo and he finds two strangers that are passed out and helps them. And they're like, thanks for helping us. Like we're actually going to see what's up with the windstone. Do you want to come with us? And Bartz is like, no, nah, actually like that's your thing. I'm doing my thing. Like go have fun. Mm. Like I'm glad I saved you. But like I'm, this isn't my business. Like I don't care. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that the music of this game, and I shouldn't be surprised because Final Fantasy scores are traditionally incredible. Right. But five, five's music feels very special especially given that it is a game known for having a lighter narrative a lot of the storytelling and a lot of the atmosphere is done by the music because when mm. Bart says no I'm okay have have a good life to these two strangers it's like kind of sad like it's a little bit like mel- it's not melancholy but it's like sort of like the more passing moments of Undertale and vibe mm. and you walk back to your Chocobo named Boko and Bart's like don't give me that face I know they might be helpless but like this isn't our issue uh and then surely enough you're reunited again and and you kind of decide to at least for now adventure together and i really love that setup it sounds so simple but this is like what i keep thinking of when i was being critical of fire emblem engage i'm like this is weirdly more powerful than a lot of more higher stakes openings of final fantasy just having like a complete stranger do someone else a kindness Mm. and then be like you know what like i will feel better about myself if i help them than if i just keep 
you know, being by myself. Yeah. And, and you know, the music, I think obviously, obviously, you know, they're going to be a party of four. And then, uh, you know, basically the, the inciting event is you quickly learn each of them is sort of like soul bound to one of the crystals and they learn it's their duty to protect the crystals and all that. But it's done in kind of a way where it's very like strangers of paradise. Yes. And very final fantasy one. And yeah. I think with final fantasy one, it's like you show up and everyone's, Oh cool. You're the chosen ones. Go do your thing. And in this game, it almost feels again, like a deconstruction where it's like, all these characters are kind of misfits like Mm. one of them is a princess but she's sort of lost one of them's a pirate captain one of them's an old man with amnesia and one of them is just like a guy and (laughs) i think that that's really fun and really powerful and like the tone of this game is so it it reminds me a lot of dragon quest 8 um you immediately meet pirates and you go steal their ship and like whenever you go to a town in the beginning your pirate party mate like says like i'll see you later and goes right to the bar um (laughs) and then you know pretty early on you gain access to jobs so basically every member of your party starts the game as a freelancer they can use any item they can equip anything but they have no inherent skills or anything and then you quickly unlock like knight black mage white mage blue mage monk that kind of stuff and as you equip them you know any of them can be anything and then as they level up that class they will learn abilities that they can equip later so like i can have one character be a white mage learn how to use white magic and then switch to a knight and suddenly i'm a knight that can use curing spells yeah. um and that's like something that we've come to know very well but it's done so well here and it makes grinding a joy because you're always advancing and you're always experimenting and i also think thematically it's it's nice that like this is a game where it's like anyone can be the hero sort of thing like, anybody mm. has the potential to do anything yeah really and again it sounds very simple but i i just really like that i like that the game has this very strong sense of adventure because like like final fantasy one at a certain point it's pretty open but you're given a little bit more character and you're given a little bit more reason for continuing the adventure but it's also just sort of like very early D days like no one really knows each other yet and you're just sort of like stumbling into situations but all the situations are so colorful and fun like one of the first places is like a haunted ship graveyard Mm. and because the wind crystal is shattered in the very beginning of the game the wind is weak so when you're traveling with your pirate ship it's actually being drug along by this like sea creature that's tied to the mast (laughs) so it's like it's just very creative with like you know we're sick of crystals at this point but it's very creative and like how they actually relate to the world Mm. and like yeah it's clearly a MacGuffin to just sort of have a fun series of adventures I don't know I just I find it really endearing and I find that like well it's not quite as ambitious narratively as four or six or seven I I think by being purposely lower stakes and more kind of like tongue-in-cheek and and light-hearted it can provide a a different but equally fun experience mm. you know and I I just I'm really amazed at how well this game like holds up given how many games have tried to emulate its design because I think the my problem with games like Octopath and Bravely Default is that like they're doing really creative and interesting things with the job system and with all that but there's so much story and it's not good (laughs) and like it's like if you're if you're aping five or if you're inspired by five take its similar approach to having like light dialogue like just sort of give us a situation Mm -hmm. and let us put ourselves in that sense of adventure you know so I, i feel like that lesson 
has been lost by a lot of the games that have like followed down this path of Final Fantasy. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it sounds it's bizarre because it sounds like they took a lot of inspiration with Final Fantasy V from Dragon Quest. Like it sounds a yes, lot like absolutely the yeah. most Dragon Quest Final Fantasy you could possibly get. Um, That's a great way to put it. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to follow that lineage from Dragon Quest as a as an idea to Final Fantasy V to then games like Octopath or Bravely Default pulling from Final Fantasy instead of from Dragon Quest. It, I you can see how a lot would get lost in translation there. And weirdly enough, I mean, I you and I have not talked about this at all before recording this episode, but I've been playing Bravely Default all week. Like that's been kind oh, of well. the focus. The first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's been the game I've kind of been focusing on most. Um, on the 3DS because I, I knew I would want to put a lot of time into it before I really kind of walked away from from the 3DS library, you know, and you, I think, reviewed that game on the old site that we worked for, right? Yeah, I I really struggled with it because I really loved parts of it, but I the more I played, the more I disliked it. Yeah, basically. that's kind of been my experience as well, too. I, yeah. I think like right up front, I was really charmed by it because it it gives you literally nothing when you start that game which i was really surprised by um it's literally just like okay you name your character and then you're in an inn uh and then you need to like go out into the world and they're like ah the game has begun here's how to fight great soundtrack i love the locations like the cities and the beautiful beautiful. also specifically on the 3ds again it's one of those cases where like you turn the 3d on and you kind of can't believe how beautiful it looks uh with the 3d on there's there's a lot going for it there but i i agree with you that the more of that game that i have played uh over the past week the more they've been kind of inundating me with narrative that i find to be really kind of like rote and meaningless uh not not to be too mean because i know a lot of people really like that game but that's that's been my feeling with it which has been kind of a bummer and i have thought to myself more than once it's so strange that we're talking about final fantasy 5 in this way but i've thought more than once i wish this was more like track and quest which is i guess just how i feel about every game at this point in my life now but yeah i i, I am interested in in checking out final fantasy 5 now i think i think you've kind of you've kind of struck a nerve with me here where i I feel, I feel like i need to see that game um because i've been playing like you uh, since we started the show episode number one of into the aether is about octopath traveler i mean like i've played so many games inspired by final fantasy five I, f- I feel obligated to go check it out now yeah I, I think a lot of things we've been talking about with rpgs like make us a smaller part of the world so the world feels bigger like you know do this do this do this a lot of the things we've been asking for are done in final fantasy five and yeah. i'm like of course this is the one for us like of course we're five heads yeah. you know what i mean like <laughs> it's also extremely nautical which you know i like yeah um, totally i will say but, just, uh, just to not yeah. completely dunk on bravely default i really love the second one uh, i talked about the second one again yeah, the second one, I like the second one, one is better i just i just don't want to throw for the fans of bravely default out there i don't i want don't want to be left in the desert with without a a a drop of water i really like the second one i think that they actually strike a much better balance in terms of that story because it is so in the back seat and it is so kind of paint by numbers that I, i i think it allows your brain to just kind of be like i'm just on a fun adventure which is what i wanted from the first one at least this week my friends who like bravely default like i i think the sentiment is kind of shared where i think like if you love that game you love the mechanics you yeah. know and like i think there's also it's frustrating because it's like there was potential there for for a better experience you know what i mean <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry to interject i just want to clarify that when i say the second one i don't mean bravely second i mean bravely default too <laughs>
on the Nintendo Switch, which I just realized there's a Bravely Second, which I, I guess I need to check out also. I've heard that that one's better than the first one, but I, I don't know how that'll go for me. Five won, won my heart and soul when Barts, after stealing a pirate ship, said yo-ho-ho ho, and stuff. Time to cast off. Great. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I, I think it's a really good, uh, for lack of a better term, it's a good podcast game because mm. it's like a lot of it is grinding and a lot of it is, you know, and that's something that like grinding to me has negative connotations and i usually am not someone who says like yeah i like a grindy rpg yeah at the same time i love dragon quest 11 and i really like final fantasy 5 so far mm-hmm. so i'm like i think if it's part of the experience because i think what we've often said about dragon quest is that like dragon quest uses the grinding as sort of like the breaths between chapters right you know it's not busy work it's a sort of like it allows you to sort of feel the the scale of this adventure and feel like the stakes and also i think at least in like 11 the sense of progression is pretty strong so i feel like you're always like getting new abilities and getting new things and also able to like experiment within that yeah i think the weakest part of the weakest dragon quest games are getting that balance wrong i actually think eight eight is a weird outlier where i think that balance is like horrible in that the first like three hours of that game require a lot of grinding to beat that first boss in a waterfall Um, yeah and then from that point on you're just like flying and that game is incredible (laughs) like that that game is so fucking good but the first three hours i think are a slog and would turn a lot of people off i think if they weren't Uh, it's also just you and yangus who i love with every fiber of my being you don't have the ability to heal you don't even have like weapons that make sense like it's (laughs) it's it's honestly not i mean like narratively it's a good opening but mechanically it's really pretty rough yeah once you get jessica it rounds out the party much better yeah uh and then it just sort of takes off from there yeah but yeah i think five gets the balance right so far because like the first dungeon Mm. you actually are all freelancers and I think that makes it really exciting where like, okay, like you kind of know the basics of combat and it kind of has like a dungeon crawly design where like there will be rooms in the dungeon that have nothing. There are rooms of treasure chests, there are rooms with like save points where you can rest. And what's fun too is all the characters have like their own spin on the look of a class. So like if you have, you know, four blue mages, they're all going to look distinct from each other, which is fun because I think it's like, I'm not getting like, you know, huge, I don't, I don't know these characters super well, but I know their vibes at least mm. you know and and uh there's a lot you know communicated visually and the game is very good at uh even though sometimes the jokes are hit or miss just given the time it came out i think that the the use of the visuals to add levity the animation where characters look shocked in chrono trigger is used a lot in final fantasy 5 and oh, it works every time with the big like like cartoon yeah. eyes popping out of their heads exactly yeah it, the shocked expression is used constantly great yeah uh, i've actually I've, I've found that weirdly i've i've played um a couple pixel remasters on my phone uh here and there i've like dipped into and out of a couple of them uh and and i found that very frequently final fantasy is is more uh adds more levity to its characters than i expect uh in, in the earlier ones because i i yeah i think of those games primarily i mean seven obviously kind of set a tone for it but even the other ones that i've played i think of them as kind of like i don't want to say morose specifically but I, I i think of them as more um like contemplative and grounded stories for the most part like they really want you invested in the world and it's so funny how many of the earlier entries in that franchise are like camp yeah even even four which has like a heavier story like there's 
there's still that DNA of one where you go to a town and someone just like dances yeah, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Five is five is like they just want you to have a fun time. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, there's still opportunities. I think the game is surprising when it does do narrative, mm. which I think is cool. It's like there's a moment where you go to an inn and like it's right after you're told like uh you're now like you are now responsible to save the crystals and the main character barts like wakes up and just like goes outside in the middle of the night and like reflects on something and it's not like a it's not a huge reveal it's just sort of like a personal memory and like i'm like the fact that the game is giving a beat for these characters to process what they've just been through mm. that goes a long way in a game that is largely filling in the blanks and also going back to fire Emblem engage letting the player creatively kind of like interpret who these characters are yeah i think it's awesome i also think like i have a feeling this one is probably best suited for mobile given the gameplay focused design and also the fact that like this is the kind of game where you might like grind for a half hour just to level up a job and then switch a new job in it's very addictive in the loop of that yeah and i, I i'm just surprised how right they got it like from the very immediately yeah it's, it sounds yeah. that way yeah i mean because a lot of what you're describing is why i liked bravely default 2 so much yeah and and you know some of the earlier hours of octopath traveler as well when you start unlocking kind of the wilder class oh my god there's a new octopath traveler coming out like in a couple weeks that's true yeah holy we shit. might have to do it <laughs> um there's anyway. a lot of square enix games this year yeah okay now i feel like really compelled to check out final fantasy 5 uh i think i think you're gonna really like it i think it's gonna be i don't know if it's gonna be like the one for you but i think you will you will have a great time yeah yeah also i mean constant not even rumors but like there's got to be a a nintendo direct coming and uh the rumors are abound again that the pixel remasters are gonna make their way to switch so that'd be awesome fingers crossed fingers crossed let's take one more break and then wrap up sounds good to me okay Hello, we're back. Uh, right before we're not anymore, I guess. Uh, <laughs> before we wrap up the episode, I did want to shout out. There's uh, Persona games now on the Nintendo Switch. More Persona games. We got Persona 5 Royal, which I think was like the dream, really. Yes. That was like, you know, like Near Automata was the thing that you and I were constantly like yelling out into the void. Like, please, please, please release this one day. And honestly, Persona 5 was the one I never thought would happen. I always thought it was going to be three or four that would hit the switch before five um but it turns out total opposite of that uh five's been out for a while i've been making my way through it slowly it's one of those ones i'm like chipping away at but four golden and persona three portable are both on the nintendo switch as of this past week which is and amazing. steam as well i believe and steam and xbox uh they're both on game pass i believe um which is amazing like just hitting game pass immediately yeah I, uh, I honestly yeah. think them releasing Persona 4 Golden on Steam and it doing so well. That, I think yeah, that, that was the big turning point for Atlas. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I had actually purchased Persona 4 Golden because I, I had played the the regular ass original Persona 4 on PS2 wow. like before we did the show. I yeah. loved it, but I hadn't played Golden. So I got Golden when I got the Steam Deck on Steam. And uh, I, I've been playing a lot of that as well. But I finally also picked up Persona 3 Portable on Switch because I have only played 
the regular ass Persona 3 Fez mm-hmm. on PS2. Although, honest, so I just started Persona 3 Portable, and I think I'll probably bring it to the show next week. Mm. It's very interesting because I think it's like in the case of four and five, Golden and Royal are the definitive versions. Like that's the one to play. In three, I feel like I'm I'm only in the opening hour of three Portable, and already I'm like, man, like I I, I really miss the cutscenes and like mm. like so much of that game is the atmosphere and the vibe and the big the opening cutscene of that game is so incredible yeah and to not get that in portable i'm like this this does feel like i kind of understand why they went with portable over fez because controlling the party mates and having both protagonists is a great like there's more of the game there in one hand but like it's just making me like i I don't want to be we finally got what we wished for so I don't want to be the guy that's now wishing for something else, but I'm like, I really hope three gets some kind of version eventually. Yeah, the thing is- you and I have been saying since this was announced was I, I just hoping that they add even some slight quality of life changes to three portable specifically adding the cutscenes in um which ended up not happening i will say though the rumor mill over the past like month and specifically in the past week has really been pointing to two things coming from atlas one is persona 6 getting announced sometime this year probably um and the other thing is that they've been working on a remake of three kind of in the background for a long time which i i'd be interested in that so much because i think it's like they've been keeping the hype for three alive and a lot of the spinoffs like yeah yeah, you right. know, and a lot of the marketing has been like, you know, three, four and five, the primary colors like mm-hmm. so I'm like they wouldn't do all that just to release a port of three portable, you yeah, know, right. Because I feel like it's like if you're if you're trying to onboard new persona fans, like I do think it's going to be three portable is not the one to onboard. Exactly. It's not the with, one yeah. to to introduce. And like even three Fez on PS2, like I I struggled with that as someone who had played four and five Mm -hmm. like there's just some things about that game that are really hard to get through yeah but it is so worth seeing through like that that is the one like i think five is the best game but persona three i think like has the most to say and like in some ways i feel like is the soul of the entire franchise because the the, it's the game that introduced the calendar system and like the s links and all of that so it sort of set the foundation for modern persona but like it actually thematically inter twines with the calendar but that game being about death and about how did you spend your time and like what is actually the meaning of life <laughs> like having like a pretty good answer to that question as a video game <laughs> is wild so yeah i i thought that that game was a beautiful experience by the time i was done with it but like it's hard for me to recommend when like four and five are like way just more fun you know, and, and better games at a certain point. Yeah, I, this is one of those situations where I, I know I said we were going to wrap up, but here we are having a whole new segment. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my thing about this, not to relitigate things we've talked about a lot on the show, but I, I think it's worth reiterating in the case of Atlas and, and especially talking so much about Nintendo and, and the 3DS bonus and stuff is like, I just th- these companies are not forthcoming about their plans, you know, because the hype cycles and the marketing cycles are so important to them. And in some cases are more important than game preservation or more important than like acknowledging fandoms of things that exist. And I'm, I'm left in this weird situation where I really do want to 
play all the persona games at some point um it's it's hard to do because of what we do like because of this show yeah it, and it they're so to, long like, yeah. yeah they're so long it, it makes it really hard to play through those games but like that that's like a life goal of mine is to play through three four and five five and four very easy obviously like five royal on the switch great perfect already making my way through it loving it four golden i've always loved i've said many many times i needed four golden to come out on the switch so i could put my vita to rest finally and, <laughs> and i can do that because now the oled switch is the vita 2 and that's beautiful but the fact that there's kind of this like floating unacknowledgement of three you know the fact that we're now getting persona 3 portable which i like you i've tried playing and have thought like this is not the right way to play it and and then I've gone in and played some of Fez on the PS2 and thought like, I don't know if this is the one either. I actually went and got like a physical copy of Persona 3 Fez on the PS2. And like, it's yeah. it's cool. And I, I appreciate that it's, you know, more in line with what I've come to expect with four and five. But also knowing that there's like a bunch of stuff missing from that game, that, knowing that I can't control the other characters in the party, knowing that there's an entire other protagonist that's left absent there. Yeah, um, it's big. And knowing that Atlas is not going to be forthcoming about, you know, hey, we're working on a, uh, a remake of this leaves me in the situation where I feel like I really have no good avenue to play three. And it's the one that I'm most interested in of all of the Persona games. And that's kind of a bummer. Like I, I would, you know, it's just one of those things where the industry is so secretive and it's kind of built on secrecy and it's built on maintaining hype cycles for like, obviously like profit related reasons. But I would like to know what Atlas thinks I should do. You know what I mean? Yeah, like like yeah. right now, it seems like what they want me to do is play Persona three portable. But if they're going to in June announce a remake of three, and I'm 50 hours into Persona 3 Portable, I'm going to feel like shit, you know? I'm yeah. going to feel like I'm doing the wrong thing, um, which is a little bit of a bummer. To be clear, like, I'm excited to play more of Portable because, like, I, I'm i in the exact spot they wanted me to be in 20 years ago when, like, <laughs> right. Persona 3 comes out and then the thing, it's like Fez was the royal version of 3, but it came out too early, yes, you know? So it was right. like, they were both on PS2, and what Fez did was added some gameplay and then also a sort of like semi-sequel called The Answer, where you play as Igus, who's mm -hmm. a robot, yes. Um, <laughs> playing Fez and having that experience, it seems like Persona 3 Portable, especially with the femme protagonist, is like, hey, you've already played it, right? So now here's like a different like perspective on the yeah. game. Yeah, and even when you start portable on the switch version which I, I did turn on just to see the menu because i was excited about it but even when you start that game and you go and and pick the femme protagonist it's like this character is for people who've already played persona 3 yeah which is like you know and and the thing is i i'm looking forward to that experience i think like you know it, it's kind of shocking that this is the only persona game where you can like play as a different protagonist and not just be like a, a young man every time yeah but also i've heard that like the the best thing about playing as her is that she has supports with all all the with everybody yeah and apparently the writing there is like much more along the lines of what we because that's the thing, like i think persona 3 has the best overall story but the supports are not quite as on the same level as four or five mm -hmm. um at least you know the ones with just like your random classmates so i'm excited to see like get to know the the cast better as this new character yeah but th that goes back into like you know both of these games are missing a big piece of the other uh so it, it's kind of frustrating and also like just the way they do the backgrounds like i I've, I've also like the two games have kind of been playing ambiently throughout the last couple of weeks um after you know 
being home for the holidays have been Persona 4, Golden, and The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, mm. uh, which are both incredible. Yeah. And uh, in Ace Attorney Chronicles, the the backgrounds and the presentation is just like so beautiful. And then to go to Persona 3 Portable, where the backgrounds are like a painting filter over like a still screenshot of, of what was just in the game. And three, right. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a bummer. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm just at the very least, I'm glad there's a way to play three at all totally so I, yeah. i'm very happy there's like yeah. there's a legal avenue to play three <laughs> and that's nice uh yeah. but at, at the moment and uh, you know i'm i find myself more drawn to the ps2 version of persona 3 and and having that for example on both actually ps2 and also on my steam deck via emulation is like i think that's probably the avenue i'm gonna go i did yeah. i did buy the bundle of three and four on the switch because i i did want to put my money where my mouth was in that case and you know actually support that just to I don't know, show Atlas. I would like more shit on the switch. <laughs> Did you get the mouthwash? I want more mouthwash. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think if I, if I make it to three, like if I finish five and four and then I'm back at three and they still haven't announced some kind of like redux, I'll probably just play three Fez on, on my steam deck. That, that would be my recommendation again, because I think the, the ability to actually like wander around because the way it works is like in three fez it's just like it it, lo- it looks and plays a lot like four where you're walking right. around the school exactly. and you're walking around the dormitory that kind of has like almost an x-men academy vibe which i feel like you'll like given your love for midnight suns mm-hmm. and uh it, but in portable it's all just sort of like like visual novel like you just see a still image and you select where you want to go but you wander around tartarus which is the game's one big dungeon and that's also kind of (laughs) there's a lot of points of tension with three uh but like (laughs) unlike four and five which for every dungeon is like based on a character in your party and them sort of confronting their inner demons and like the, they all have like very clear themes they're exploring and mm-hmm. five is all about the villains so like i'm pretty sure every palace in five is like one of the deadly sins in three it's just one big ass tower right called tartarus that it's up to you to like get far enough in in it so the game like doesn't say oops you can't progress anymore because you didn't prioritize this as much as you should have and then every full moon there's a big boss so the idea is like you have to balance like your daily life with grinding and progressing in tartarus so that you're ready for the full moon fight Mm -hmm. so if you if you if you are listening and you want to play three as it is now even in portable i would recommend keeping several backup saves that way like you don't have a save right before the full moon fight and then be like oh shit i'm like three levels behind like the minimum here i can never win and then just have to start the game over (laughs) yeah that sounds miserable yeah uh and not not to belabor the point or keep this segment going longer than it needs to be but i have talked to people who are excited about the persona 3 portable release on switch and are playing it and are starting with the femme protagonist even if they've never played it before and are still having a great time um, somebody reached out to me on Mastodon this week about that specifically and was like, I actually recommend this, even though it's what the game specifically tells you to not do. Um, and, and I think it's all it's all valid. It's all viable for me. For me specifically, I just think the PS2 version is the one for me. So, yeah, totally. And, and hopefully we get a, a version that has the best of both worlds and six. <gasps> yeah, I wonder what that's going to be like. Persona I also, 5 is my... seven years old now. Oh, you shouldn't have told me that. Isn't that wild? I just, I just like learned skeleton. that last night in a car ride. I was like in a car trying to not 
uh, get car sick and uh, then looked at my phone, which made it worse and, and saw that Persona 5 was seven. I think old. it feels more recent because of Royal. Since yeah, Royal was a totally. 2020 release. And also it's just like constantly around. Like there's always Persona in the air yeah. at this point. But also just um, think about, okay, that means that they've been working on a new Persona game for seven years. My current, yeah. and this is not exactly what I want, but my current hot prediction for you is that Persona 6 is going to be real-time combat. Uh, or a version of real-time combat i think that would be wild steven persona 5 strikers was such an interesting experiment and such a good execution of persona mechanics with real-time combat Mm -hmm. that i wonder if that was them testing out the idea because that was the that was the first warriors game i played that felt way more the other series than like it's a warriors game with these characters you yeah, know right so i just wonder what's going on there it could just very well be a one-off i don't this is based on nothing but my current my current weird gut hot prediction for you that's probably not true is that persona 6 is going to be real-time combat not necessarily like persona 5 strikers but it's going to be like sort of how ff7 remake tries to interpret the turn-based combat into real time i think persona 6 is going to be like that because mm. there's been this brewing interest in like the cinematic moves and just the over the topness of it i could see it moving in that direction while smt remains the tried and true turn-based combat you've come to know and love i can see that happening and soul hackers right soul hackers just dropped yeah recently. and there's so many other smt yeah. spinoffs too it's, i mean it's possible <laughs> i think i i would assume that people would revolt <laughs> Don't you think? Don't you think that people would revolt? Like knowing knowing the fandoms of SMT and and the ways in which they act on the internet, I think that they would revolt in a way that would be like horrifying to watch. How about this? How about this though? What if there was only like the all out attacks were the real time combat events? So it was like if you can pull that off, then it becomes like a real time yeah. button mashing thing. I would love that. To be clear, like I, I I think that'd be fun. I think that'd be a really interesting idea. And and I'm I'm so down for for a change in that way and honestly that would make maybe persona a little bit more uh approachable for me personally well that's the thing it's like it, persona 5 has was such a surprising mainstream event like the fact that this series has become like a big mainstream totally. thing yeah is fascinating and still so wild and the fact that they can just casually market three which honestly like three before you like get into three there is a lot of content warnings and it's like a very hard game yeah to market but yeah i i could just see like now that like what do you do after persona 5 you know what i mean that's sort of why I feel like there might be like a bigger change for the series on the horizon. Set it in the Midwest. <laughs> so uh, it's just like instead of Cafe LeBlanc, it's just Al's Beef. It's just like a weird like <laughs> sandwich place. Anyway, on that note, why don't we actually wrap up? Because once Persona comes up, we we start to yeah, time just melts away. That's true. Yeah, this this uh, was a much longer segment than it was supposed to be. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Into the Aether. It still is a low-key video game podcast. Um, <laughs> you can find us online at intothecast.online. That's our links to everything. Please, if you like the show, share it with a friend. Really helps. Uh, thank you to everybody who has done that and continues to do that. If you really, really like the show, maybe give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That apparently helps something algorithmically and be very cool you can also support us on patreon uh thank you to all 
of those who are able to uh we we recently got a pretty big boost in support so just thank you so much for that yeah that allows us to work towards just doing the show more often more consistently and like we've said many times we're working on doing our 3ds bonus for patrons that will come out next month in february sometime yeah Uh, probably later in the month if i had to guess so if you want even more hot takes about bravely default uh, (laughs) stay tuned for that patrons this show's okay, but where's my Pushmo content? Well, you're in luck. <laughs> you are in luck, Howie. If you Pushmo's, got a dollar per have month. Have you played Pushmo yet? I did played it yesterday. It's amazing. It's really good, right? It's, yeah, I wasn't kidding. That wasn't a joke. Yeah. That was like that was like when I played uh, Medios on, on yes. the DS, and I was like, oh, is this going to be a contender? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pushmo's awesome. Pushmo. Also an e-store only, so get it while you can. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. It's cool. Um, All right. Cool. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, thank you all so much for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye, Boucheron. Goodbye, Boucheron. See you in hell. Engage! Boucheron! PWG. The Worst Garbage. Oh, my.